Hey everybody, my name is Simeon Mordecai Bittman. This is my sidekick, James Gopp. Today we're gonna to be talking about eating meat. Sounds simple, right? Well, it's really not. We're gonna be discussing the ethics involved with eating meat. We're gonna talk about the environmental impact of eating meat. We're gonna be talking about our upbringing eating meat. We're gonna be talking about the evolution of our species eating meat. And we're probably gonna talk about a lot more on this episode of Figuratively Feasting. So what's up, James? How you doing? I'm doing well. This is a difficult topic, man. This is something I think I've been running from for a long time. Yeah. You know, I think as most chefs, you know, we become meat-centric. Yeah. You know, you have your vegetables, which have classically been a uh, side dish or, uh, you know, co-star. Right? Yeah. And because it's all about the proteins, the way it's prepared, the super-aged beef, mm -hmm. the origins of a particular protein. Mm -hmm. But when we really tap into it, how does, where does it come from? What's the life of the animal? Yeah. What is the cost? The ultimate question is, what is the cost? The cost, yeah. You know, and is it is it worth it? And that is it at the end of the day. We absolutely evolved to the state that we are from eating meat. Yes, we consumed all other vegetables, wild, you know, things. But ultimately, we came to where we are today by being scavengers and eating lots of protein to help us grow a lot of animal fat. Mm. We've evolved. That's the key term here. Mm -hmm. Have we evolved to a different state where we no longer need to continuously, you know, go down that path? Mm. So it's a, it's a topic we've both done a lot of research on. It's something I'm really interested in talking about. Um, but I guess where it all really starts is sort of back to where one of our earlier podcasts was about fire cooking. Yeah. Right? And yeah, let's go back to the beginning. Let's yeah. go back to early mankind. Yeah. We have, what is, I mean, for lack of a better term, we have cavemen. That's what we were. That's where we came from. Maybe, the, as theory goes, we, evo we evolved from uh, monkeys, from simians. That's right. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, right. it should have been extinct a long time ago. No, no, oh, uh, couldn't help it. Terrible. Sorry. You set me up. You were waiting for that. That's Come true. on, I now. did. I teed you right up for that one. You did. And foraging, we were some say hunter gatherers, some say gatherer hunters. They switch it around. Mm -hmm. Fire was figured out. Meat was the tools were developed, uh, presumably hunting tools, stones that were sharpened to be able to uh, hunt an animal. The skill to track down beasts was <clears throat> the skill to track down beasts and the patience, well really, the need to live and survive, uh, enabled us to be able to capture large animals and provide food for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna interrupt you here just for a second yeah, because yeah. I mean, this is something we talked That's about. That's all you ever do anyway, so. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, yes. So, uh, Simeon and I tend to do a lot of, um, you yeah, know, because everybody has busy lives, right? I mean, it's, we're all doing things. We do a lot of voice memos back and forth with each other before we do these podcasts because mm -hmm. we have a lot of thoughts going on, a lot of stuff. We're very deep individuals. So, um, you know, we were talking about this, going back to the hunter-gatherer type of stuff. You know, it's a different world we live in today. Back then, it was literally the difference that you went out hunting, fishing, whatever it was you were doing. You're going out 
to go get berries to survive, to feed your family. And if you didn't get those particular items, you weren't able to find an animal, catch a fish, forage fruits or whatever. It was a very uh, real, like, you know, a, re- a very likely, pos- a very real possibility that you were going to die. You weren't going to be able to take care of your family. Yeah. And what would that experience be like? Will you describe that for us? Yeah. I think, you know, imagine being out there, right? You're going out early in the morning, you know, you're, you're tracking things to the best of your ability. Uh-huh. You're looking, you go to these places where maybe you had luck in the past, mm-hmm. all the right circumstances, you know, you're out there for eight, 10 hours, yeah. right? Where the sun is going down, you're starving. Maybe you cobble together whatever it was, dried meat, nuts, fruit, whatever you have in your little loincloth pocket. And, and it starts to get to this point where it's like, I need to bring home something tonight or this might be it. Everyone's hungry. Right? Maybe it's been a couple of days since you've really eaten. You've been surviving off of all these scraps. Hmm. And all of a sudden, you hear rustling in the woods. Yeah. You hear something maybe breathing heavy. Mm-hmm. And now you have this one opportunity to hit this thing where it counts. Yeah. You hit it. It instantly falls to the ground. Can you imagine what that must feel like? <sighs> right? Modern day hunters... Obviously, they have a much larger respect for the prey they're going after. But back then, you hit something, and that was literally the difference between life and death. Yeah. That sense of adrenaline, the hair standing in the back of your neck. Yes, absolutely, right? Everything is just glowing on you, and you go over, and you break the animal down or whatever. Yeah. The reality is we hit today, we go out. Yes, there are people that are out there today that are collecting harvesting, hunting, uh, you know, fish, animals, to be able to live off the grid or supplement their stuff. Because, you know, there are some people that believe they want to get off of the mass-produced food uh, and want to stick to that. But if you don't, if you strike out, you don't get that as you head out there. Yeah, just think, I'll go to Stop and Shop. Yeah, you're going to go to Stop and Shop or any other big box store to get your steak or whatever, right? Yeah. Worst comes to worst, you're a single fella, lady, whatever. You're going to go to a gas station if you're really hungry, <laughs> right? I mean, it's dire straits. You're way out there and there's nothing else. And your stomach is grumbling. You haven't eaten in 15 minutes. You know, you're ready to roll. You need something to eat. So you go in there and you get, like, you know, some hard-boiled eggs from the gas station. Yeah, that's or what you get. Yeah, exactly. That is my sandwich. go-to. Yeah, yeah. Late nights after events, late night, if I can find a nice gas station. Yeah. I'm like, what's the most healthy thing here? Oh, beautiful. A hard-boiled egg. <laughs> the yolk is almost white because it's oh, so it's pale. So gross. Yeah, you got, you got to do the best you can with what you have. Those but, come in giant bags, I bet. Giant like 20 pound bags that are vacuum sealed of cooked hard boiled eggs, yeah. pre-cooked calcium chloride preserved. Right. And then the thing is for me, right. Where it's like, I, my immediately go to was to be like, I, I don't even know want to, I don't even want to know where they come from. That's the problem. That's with, the thing with today's conversation is we've all, that. yeah, we've all been sort of living in that state where, yeah. you know, I don't want to think about it because I'm hungry. I want a grilled steak. Mm-hmm. I want my chicken breast. I want my salmon. I want mm-hmm. my gravlax. Mm-hmm. But what's the cost? Where does it come from? So yeah, and you don't find that out very easily, man. No, we found out checking it out. Yeah, you got to scratch. Yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult thing, you know, because it's 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 easy to go in the conversation where, you know, once you go down that rabbit hole, you can go extreme. Yeah, you can go either way. 
you know, and uh, like as in how I was a, a raw foodist for three to four years, like sure, a struggling raw foodist, I should say, struggling, oscillating between that and just being vegan, which I thought was a failure if I couldn't be a raw foodist. And then be going into macrobiotic so, eating but, and all that kind of well, vegetable-based, super extreme stuff. Yeah, so let, before you get all that, because this is an interesting part of it, is what led you to want to go there? What was that moment? Hmm. I'm trying to remember. And do you remember what age? Because this is another yeah, thing, Yeah, I remember the age, and I remember where I was. 18, college. I was hanging out with a bunch of kids who I was inspired by. They were uh, humanitarians, and they were kind of intellectual, some of them, so they were studying about ethics, and they were studying philosophy, and they were meditators, and they were doing yoga also. They were interesting folks who were thinking, they were using their minds to think about what the experience of being a human is and what it means to cause harm to others, and what it means to live in a planet where uh, you try to harm as little as possible. And so they were gravitating towards these ways of eating. And they were also around your same age? Yeah. Yeah, this is 18, 19, like freshman year, sophomore year of college that's, at UMass. Yeah. I mean, that's not common. No. It's not for that age. <clears throat> Of people. I mean, I, I would think that the vast majority of people, at least where I grew up, that is not a common way of thinking. Yeah. You don't really care about what you're wasn't. consuming. Like, yeah, man. It was like my first foray, my first adventure out of the Berkshires. I didn't know that these kinds of people existed, to be honest with you. And when I saw them, I was blown away by it. And they sort of, you know, they took me in. So, I'm sorry. Again, I'm going to interrupt you. But what, so when, as you were a youth, um, I know a bit about your upbringing, but I, I want you to sort of yeah. enlighten everybody else. Like, what was your diet like? What was your, you know, typical evening dinner? Yeah, it fluctuated around a lot, man. Um, when I was really young, my dad was farming most of the time. So a giant garden in the back. It was providing a decent amount of our food. We had goats and we had pigs. We never had cows. And we never had uh, sheep, but my dad would trade goat's milk for meat and cheese and other stuff that was around the neighborhood where I grew up. Huh. After a while, all that stuff faded away. Farming faded away a lot more because it was uh, a lot of farms were bought up or sold out by larger factory farming. Um, so as that drifted away, my dad's concentration and focus on gardening and obtaining meat locally, even from down the road, faded away. So we started getting in the old cold cuts and sliced American cheese. And, uh, you know, my mom would hold the line at certain things. We could get, we could have honey nut Cheerios, but definitely not Fruity Loops. You know, we could get ham, but couldn't get roast beef. Really interesting. Yeah. Had to be whole wheat bread, you know? But it was like Fryhofer's whole wheat bread. Right. But it was so what better does that even than mean? wheat bread. Right? Yeah. It was better than white bread. Couldn't get Wonder Bread. Definitely not. That was like really bad, you know? But we could get Cheerios. Yeah. But it's like Fryhofer's whole wheat bread. Like, I mean, how many steps is that away from Wonder Bread? Not much, right? Yeah, totally. Well, the dough conditioners and everything else in there. Oh, yeah. And so then it's just pumped with fortifiers. Like, just it's pumped with synthetically produced vitamins. Like, yeah, it's not exactly. even 
it's real like bread. Dead, dead, dead wheat that they have to add so much to. But it's interesting because of this marketing scheme, yeah. right? Where it's like, oh yeah, no, you have to eat whole wheat. Why? Well, because we've been taught that whole wheat has more nutrition. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. But but what does whole wheat mean? And yeah. what are the sort of, you know, the things that are around it? It's really interesting. And that's a, a big part of a conversation where whole wheat one place is very different than whole wheat from another place. Yeah, totally. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue, please. Yeah, no worries. So my diet moved around a lot, but there was a little bit of um, ethic and belief and understanding inserted in me at a young age, a little bit about what it was to eat local meat about what it was to take the life of an animal. And I had some experiences with that younger, at a younger age that had an effect on me. How old? Uh, six. Um, do you want me to talk about it now? Maybe we should talk about it later. To me, now feels right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's kind of tough for me to talk about it, just like it's been tough for you. Uh, and I shared it with you as though recently in a voice memo as though it was a buried memory that I was kind of discovering. Um, but it is one that I've talked about at other points in my life. Um, anyway, so we had a pig. Uh, the pig's name was Oinky. I love that pig a lot. That pig was real cool. We built a pen for it. Uh, I went out and hung out with it all the time. A neighbor, this is weird, but a neighbor uh, taught me to feel really good about stepping in its poop without <laughs> shoes on. Really? Yeah, he was a little bit weird. Well, Cheshire is a little bit weird. Yeah, well, you know, you South County folk aren't, aren't too maybe normal maybe yourselves. Maybe we're missing something in the uh, feces department. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But he's like, you know, in order to connect with an animal, it's also good to connect with its feces. And he like, he like I've never heard that. Feet, he like put his feet in the pig's feces, dude. Like raw feet. And he's like, this one is still warm. Like this is really interesting. You should try it. So okay, anyway. So where is this person now? Uh, he's still he's still in that area. He's uh, yeah, just see so uh, evolved to going into uh, sewers or something. Or what's his yeah. deal? <laughs> I mean, he's a he's an interesting cat, man. Very interesting dude. Well, maybe we'll do a whole podcast on him. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, so uh, Oinky was awesome. And I believe we had Oinky for about a year and a half. And oh, that's a long time. Yeah, it turned to the winter. Oh, I guess it was, yeah. For the life cycle of a pig, which is something that not a lot of people know at all. Uh, how long does a pig usually take to reach... The, a good phase or a good stage for slaughter and then consumption? Well, I mean, ultimately, it has a lot to do with managing the animal. Mm. And, you know, when I raised uh, three pigs, <clears throat> I was advised, because I'm by no means a livestock farmer, professional, you know, I went through the whole process because I made a decision that if I'm going to choose to eat meat, I need to see it through all the way. Uh. So, you know, I was advised that really you want to have it be... Um, less than a year, you want to be, you know, somewhere, you know, around maybe eight or nine months, mm. because once they reach a certain stage, which I think was probably around six months, they start putting on a weight really fast. Yeah. And that's absolutely what happened for me. Huh. But so a year and it was, if it was a year and a half, that pig must've been pretty large. Yeah. I wonder if it was, 
That also could depend on the I, breed, Yeah, I don't too. really remember. Yeah, I don't remember the pig being, like, super humongous the way that I remember pigs uh, up at this agricultural school that I was the chef at in northern Vermont. Those pigs got sterling? big. Yeah, sterling. Yeah. Those pigs got real big. Yeah, and that's all to do with genetics over time, how we've bred them. Yeah, we I mean, were maybe... just feeding them compost. But, yeah, it was, like, a breed, a particular breed. They were pink, and they had black spots on them and they were kind of hairy i mean pink pink ones tend to be usually yorkshires uh. which is sort of associated with like you know uh, porky the pig hmm. it's sort of a breed that was because they grow really big really fast right on uh, but yeah, also with that. black spots on it it it's, could be crossed with something else huh. but i i definitely well we can talk about this off camera but i'm very curious to know if you spoke to your father what that breed was just out of curiosity because yeah. a year and yeah. a half I mean, yeah. some of them are really big. Yeah. They can get big really quick. And I remember there were a couple, I wonder if it was the same situation as up in Sterling where the pigs were pretty much ready to go, but the processor was booked. And so yep. we had to wait for a date to get in yep. to send them out. Yeah. Uh, so I remember the man who came that day to take Oinky. Um, so the process, and I don't know. Maybe he was held up for a little while, and it took that long. Maybe there was some faltering back and forth because my parents knew how much I liked the pig, and it was about decide making the decision: like, should we just keep it on as a pet uh, because we had all grown close to it? Maybe there was some hesitation there because that's not an easy call to make. It, like literally a phone call to somebody and be like, "All right, the pig that we've come to love and raise." is ready to get shot in the head and dragged away and taken to a process plant right. and turned into food that we will now eat. You know, like that's, it was the, our first pig. So we weren't, and my dad by no means was desensitized to that and had come to grips with that experience before. So right. it was a first for our entire family. Must have been hard for everybody now that I think about it. Well, it's a really interesting thing to tap into, too, is because as we're having this conversation, I think that it would be interesting. I'm just going on assumption yeah. solely here. You haven't really tapped into this conversation fully yeah. with your father and maybe your mother. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to hear. It would be interesting to hear the outcome of that conversation and to understand the psychology of what everyone is feeling during that time because you're sort of saying, well, uh, maybe it was because of this, maybe it goes to that. Was it? You know, I mean, and because we go through this as chefs, yeah. the psychology of that, but then, you know, they were the ones that had to make the call ultimately. Yeah. You were a little boy, it affected you, but they were the ones that had to say yes or no. Yeah. So I'd be really interested to know what that felt like mm. for them for them yeah me too and then they obviously didn't feel super great about it or they at least knew that i was going to feel that i was going to be deeply upset because they hid it from they tried to hide that moment from me the the guy coming to slaughter or to shoot oinky they we're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to keep doing stuff outside, and it's nap time, so go upstairs and take a nap. And I was like, I felt that something was amiss. Something was weird. And isn't that amazing? At that age, you could feel that. Yeah, and somebody was trying to watch over me in my room. Yeah, I could feel it. Isn't that interesting? That is really wild. Uh, 
Yeah, and I remember somebody, maybe it was my brother or something, was trying to keep me in check because they knew that I knew something was up. So they brought me up to my room and they were trying to watch me uh, and make sure that I was going to lie, actually lie down in bed. But I wasn't having it. So I was looking out the window where I could see the whole scene. I could see Oinky's pen that I looked out at, presumably, in the morning time when I woke up. I remember being excited about going to hang out with Oinky. I'd look out the, the window, go see if he was out there, you know, or I'd look to see if he was out there, and then I'd run outside and go check him out. Are you crying? I'm getting there. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> yeah, dude. Because it's like I told you before, that kind of situation, like, it's deeply disturbing for me. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I was, I remember fighting because I ended up getting hysterical because I knew something was going on and that somebody was trying to get, keep something from me. So I was fighting to get at the window so that I could look out the window. And I finally ended up getting to the window. And what I saw was this man wearing overalls, dragging Oinky through the snow, leaving a trail of blood behind him and with a gun on his shoulder, resting on his shoulder on his other shoulder. Now that I remember, now that I recall, I remember hearing the gunshot, and that's when I fully went into hysterics. of like, let me see, let me see, let me see, I wanna see. And I looked out the window, and that's when I saw, and then I totally burst into like tears, screaming, like going totally nuts. It was so incredibly deeply upsetting for me, man. And that noise. Yeah. Like you had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, in a lot of ways, well, yeah, he was your pet. Yeah. He was your friend. Yeah, and, yeah, it's, right? So continue. And then the next day, or the coming days, a few days later, it was breakfast time, and I smelled bacon, and I was excited, and I ate bacon. And I remember like my dad or my mom saying something to me. Well, this is actually, I don't remember this exactly, but this is the story that they've always told me that as I was eating it, they were like, you know uh, what you're eating right now? And I was like, I don't know. They're like, you're eating oinky. And they record or they tell me that I had no serious emotional reaction to that that I was, like, I had disconnected at that point. So, it's interesting, because... Like, yeah, like, what does that say? Yeah. About, as humans, our uh, feelings about animals and about pets and how we get close to them, um, and then about our need to eat them. And, first of all, or as one component... And then the other component being our ability to separate from those emotions that were seemingly so strong in one moment and then completely separate and go in an entirely different direction and like be, be able to eat that animal that we were just so upset seeing get destroyed. Yeah, but also I think it has a lot to do with the people you look to for guidance, your parents in that way. I mean, those are the people that look over you and tell you what's right and what's wrong. Mm. And, you know, as you get older, you know, as you mature as a human being mm. and you lash out against your family, you crave independence, 
there's nobody there anymore to tell you what's right and what's wrong except for the media, except for marketing places, right? I mean, you go through television. I mean, television was the old thing, right? You look yeah. at your commercials in between your soap operas, your football games, whatever it is, Yeah. right? And it's like, oh, eat this, do this, do this, do this, all those things. I mean, there was that old story, like when you go to the movie theaters, right? Like they would, like in a section, like a half a second, they would put something in between there that, wouldn't be part of the film or whatever, but it would. Sh it should have registered, so wow. registered something in your brain. Do you hear about that? No. That would have wanted you. Well, like, I remember to from go uh, yeah, from Fight Club. Anyway. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, it's like yeah, the idea was like you know, boom, you see something, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, wow, I, I, want, I want popcorn, or I want those gobstoppers, or whatever yeah. it is, right? So yeah, um, or the, like I remember the Wendy's. Remember the old Wendy's commercial? Which one? There was like an old lady. And they they were like I don't know they were comparing hamburgers or and something. Where's the beef? Yeah, and she's like, "Where's the beef?" Yeah. So what was appealing about that? Because this sweet old lady was mouthing off about that. It was well, that was funny, right? That was yeah. sort of the clincher. But really, it was like, oh, it was me learning the value. Oh yeah, I guess if you're gonna have a burger, it's got to have a lot of meat in it. Like it has yeah. to be very beef, very beefy, and have yeah, a course. lot. That's what quality is. Quantity right. is. Quality. Yeah, quantity. So you, whatever you get for as least the amount of you know money you spend. Yeah, and Wendy's burgers were cheap. Yeah. So quick question for you on yeah. a, a completely unrelated side note, just because now I'm thinking about movie theaters. What's your favorite movie theater candy? Oh, if you're going, oh, oh. we're not talking about now, but we're talking about back when you were a kid. Back in the day, Mike yeah, like, and Ike's, bro. Mike and Ike's. Mike and really? Ike's all the way, and Mike hot and tamales. Those two. I oh like those God. gummy like pill shaped ones. Hot tamales. That <laughs> is insane. <laughs> what about you? I haven't heard that. I, yeah. I, I liked the, um, what are the ones, like the chocolate covered peanuts, but it's not the M&M versions of it. It's something else, I feel like. I don't know what that is. It wasn't is. almonds, right? It wasn't like those candy coated no. chocolate almonds. No, no, no. Um, and then what else? There was another one that I really liked. Um, uh, milk, milk duds. Yeah, I was waiting really for you good. to say that. Those milk were duds. so good, man. Yeah, milk duds. And I've always been a sucker for Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, I yeah. love that sweet and sour. You thing like the sour stuff. I've I always been on the road a couple times. Yes, that's <laughs> specifically what it is. Whatever it is on, on the road, it's got to be we stop at a gas station. I want something sour. I want something gummy. I love the <laughs> consistency. You can't, but it's also got to be like ultra sour. Like, I've had some oh, stuff, yeah. like, if Sour Patch Kids aren't available, they were like, oh, super sour. I think there's a company, Jolly or something like yeah, that, yeah. make these, like, you know, the, the bag is black, and it's neon green or whatever, and it's just not uh, sour enough. I I'm want ashamed that. to say that I know that. That but, we both, um, Yeah, but what is that, right? Why is that? And also, hmm. it's garbage, man. Yeah, it's it's so garbage, garbage, dude. Totally. But it's maybe it's just because driving for such a long period of time, you need some sort of stimulation yeah in, you know internal stimulation yeah but anyhow yeah we, we digress yeah we digress so while we're digressing why don't we just go a little bit further because that brings me into something that sort of brings us back on the topic which will bring us back to meat but when you mention uh you know it's like why do i eat this i know that this is crap i know that this isn't good uh, i remember in one of the voice memos this week you said like i eat a lot of meat and a lot of it comes from places that I'm not crazy about uh, and that I know can't be from good places, but I do it anyway. And that's what we do as a species. We are currently in a place where we are eating so much meat and we're not thinking about where it's coming from and 
what its sources are. Um, so I guess the question is, why do you think that you do that? Why do you think that you eat meat that you, as being a person who's now starting to learn a lot more about where meat comes from, but really who has known a lot for a long time, especially uh, based on your business, which is sourcing meat from really great places. Um, why do you do that? Why do you gravitate towards doing that? And I'm also asking that question like for me too. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's interesting because I will tell you that my ego right now is like on fire because you're putting me in a hot seat. Uh, you know, but that's good. Um, because I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's their thoughtless choices because I justify things. Yeah. I'm busy. Yeah. And that's a big one, right? Where it's like, I'm busy after this. Everything needs to be easier. Blah, 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 blah. I need to, you know, figure out whatever. Like, yeah, me and the, too. I do the same thing. But, the, but it, to me, it leads to a bigger question is why is local meat not more readily available? There we go. That's the problem, you know? And totally. it's, it's not that it's even like, the problem is for me, I go to a grocery store. I go to some place of convenience, it's not even that I have to travel to like a farm or whatever. It's the fact that we've bred this culture. And this is really fascinating to me during these COVID times yep. is that, you know, I, I want to go and support local businesses, but when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of like Guido's as an example, this, this local, uh, this local grocery store, it's really great. It's sort of like a smaller version of something like a, a Whole Foods mm. here in the Berkshires. Really great, great family started it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. they have a, a capacity, capacity limit of how many people can be in there. Right. If I got to go and I've structured my day and I'm down to the T with things, I got to be this, 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 yeah. I got to be this place here yeah. at this time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All of a sudden I come to Guido's and I see a line of 25 people totally, outside. Man. I don't even think at that point, like, well, is it, okay, so 25 people, so I immediately register, okay, I'm going to be in line for half an hour. Yeah. It could be 25 people. I'm going to be in line for five minutes. Yeah. I see that line. And what does that come from? Just, it, it, it's just perhaps whatever, right? Like, where does that stem from? What is my, you yeah. know, idea of reality and yeah. time, right? So I'm like, well, I pull in that, I pull into the, you know, parking lot, I take a look at the line and I say, uh. I, I don't have time for this. I yeah. don't even stop. I go around and I go to the next store, which has done a great effort. They have done a great job. And, and Big Y. We're yeah. talking about Big Y yeah. is hands down much better than Price Chopper. Mm. Like by leaps and bounds. They've mm. done a great job. Still not, you know, completely local stuff, but you got to look for it. It's, it's interspersed in there. Mm-hmm. But because it's a much bigger store. Yeah their capacity is much larger during these COVID times. So I'll go in there and do what I need to do. And, you know, they've gone to great efforts to, you know, label where they're sourcing their seafood from and beef and meat and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But so to me, it comes down to convenience because, and this is my own problems to work on. I'm still working on allocating my time appropriately. So if I, so what's the solve to that? The, the, what is that? The answer is if I'm going to go to Guido's instead of it just being, comparable in time to big Y or big box store yeah. allocating an additional 15 minutes. Mm. I suppose I can work that in my time. Yeah. And, uh, it really, that's really what it comes down to, man. It comes down to that, man. But also, uh, 
And I'm not trying to say that we're all victims here by any means, but we're also <laughs> victims of a system that has created a situation of convenience for us that we're naturally going to be drawn to, that we're naturally going to get hooked on being able to get quickly and easy access to meat and whatever we want, whenever we want. We're mm. a product of that. We're yeah. a product of, you touched on it before, we're a product of marketing and messaging yeah. and stuff that came up in our upbringing. And we are the product of the factory farming uh, planet, the factory farming atmosphere. Machine. Yeah. Machine. I mean, it, That's really the best word for it. Yeah. Yeah. And thus we've been bred to so quickly reach our cutoff point or our tilt just because we see a little line. Yeah. Dude, I haven't been to Guido since COVID started, since March. I saw a line and then I found out that senior hour, they only allow yeah, seniors right, exactly. through between yep. 9 and 10. Yep. That's when I'm driving by. So I just skip past it. I go around the corner to Stop and Shop now. That's where I've been going almost every day since yeah. COVID began. Yeah. And that's because of convenience again. Right. And just like that, boom, like, I'm sorry, I only have three minutes and then I got to get to work. So I can't wait in line. I can't risk anything happening. I have to go immediately where I know I can get it. Right. So the question is, like, as I had said earlier, like, okay, so what's the solution to this and this? How do you stick to that? Right. Like, what is it? What is holding both of us back to committing to that? You know, and, and I, I don't I don't know what that is. Right. And but also the further thing is going back to the conversation is local meat is not more readily available. I go into Guido's. Yeah, sure. I allocate that extra 15 minutes. There's no local meat. In there. Right. There isn't. Right. And their seafood is not any more local than honestly, if I'm, if I'm being honest, than the grocery store next door. Yes. Let's be real here now. There are rumors, I don't know if they're true, that they source the same. They go to the same the fish same markets. Place. Yeah, right. So, you know, you go to, the, yeah, so you go to some place like, you know, for us, it's big, for me at least, it's Big Y, right in Great Barrington. And yeah, you see the Chilean sea bass, which is coming from, uh, as strange as it is, Turkey, mm -hmm. not Chile, mm. right? So, and then there's Bronzino that's also yeah. coming from Turkey. And right? then there's halibut, which is coming all the way from the West Coast, or it must be, because it's on Sea Watch and it's close to endangered on the East Coast. So it's coming from all the way over there and it's at top price all the time. Right. And yeah, the meat is all natural. What does that mean? mean? Yeah. I don't know. What does know, all man. natural mean? It can mean so many different things. Yeah, and that's the point where and we're basically striving. It means nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. But well the thing is I think that, you know, for for the folks I mean, obviously there's gonna be people that are listening to this podcast that are really devout uh, you know, followers of grass fed, locally sourced meats, good for you. Good yeah, for you. Absolutely. Hallelujah. And and you should be, but for the folks that aren't that don't really understand what that is. We're, we're in a day and age now where you can find everything you need on Google. So just do me a favor, pause this, open another window, and just look up what it is. And, like, look where it is. Like, what's in season? But you know what the bigger part – I, I think really what the big problem is here mm. is, like, there's no silver bullet. But I truly believe, you know, as we've evolved as a world – there's certain times where we know, like for us on the East Coast, we know strawberries are basically, you know, coming into season mid to late J June yes. to essentially like maybe if you're lucky, the third week in July, yes. right? They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. You can't get local strawberries the end of July, August, right? 
because we don't grow that here. Yeah. So, you know, we're also landlocked. We don't have an ocean anywhere near us. I think the closest ocean is probably three hours from us out in Boston, the harbor, right? That's right. So, but what's coming out there is striped sea bass. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening, but the problem is striped sea bass is so overfished because it's become a thing that people really love. Yeah. I really, truly believe that things need to be, which, which I know that striped sea bass has become, when I've spoken to like the fish purveyors, mm-hmm. really strict. They're only allowed to fish in on a certain day yeah. for whatever, and it's really hard to get. Yeah. But the conversation, I, the conversation I have with the purveyors are like, yeah, it's become really effing hard to get a hold of it. You know, they only have this and this and this. Mm. Like, we need to get everybody on board. Yeah. That's the situation because going back to your parents telling yeah. you, you know, what you're eating, right? Mm. You know, this is the bacon. And you're like, oh, okay. And you eat it and you're feeling okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're looking at other people for guidance as chefs. Yeah. What's available? What's hot right now? What's delicious? Right. You got somebody that's telling us, well, it's effing this and effing that, and it's, you know, whatever, blah, blah, it's ridiculous. What are they doing? They're perpetuating the problem. Which is that we should be able to get the most popular or whatever type of seafood or fish is in demand at that moment. Yeah, we'll be able plentiful. to get it whenever we want and as much of it as we want yeah. so that we can feed our clients who have that desire Absolutely. and basically perpetuate that system. Yeah, but it's not whatever, when, whenever we want. It's what's happening right now. Right. Sorry, but it, yeah, it's exactly. like that's the kind that's of situation what I mean. that's where it's like, actually boom, what it is. Like, this is what you have. Uh, and what, well, but, but the really thing is, is I want salmon. Well, there's no salmon right now, but what I can offer you is this like, and this, but it's not even about fish purveyor. It's about going to the grocery store because as chefs, we have a tremendous responsibility. Mm-hmm. People come to events, they come to restaurants, they taste like beautiful halibut, right? And it's like amazing because it was caught at its peak. They're running like crazy. They're delicious, right? Yeah. And they're caught within an hour from where they're running. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is the most delicious piece of meat I've ever had in my life. Forget about everything else. Yeah. This is amazing. I want this for the rest of my life. Yeah. They go home three, four months later. Oh, my God. Go to the grocery store. I want hell. But, yeah, no problem. We have it right here. Yep. It's not in season. It's coming from hours away. Yeah. It's caught yep. brutally in a lot of cases. And this is the problem. We're going to get into ethics. <sighs> right, We're talking about we today go. is ethics. Because right? I'm ready to freaking go on this, too. So here we go. Yeah. Uh, ethics <sighs> ships out, you know, there's so much o- like overfishing that's happening in the ocean because supply and demand, everybody wants something. And can I just insert real quick? There's so much what they call bycatch. That's oh. a product of all that. Oh, yeah. right. You're like, that oh, what? don't even get me started. But what's on the story of the bycatch? What's the story with yeah, it? Yeah, why is that a problem? Why does it get you upset in your insides? There's all kinds of species that are being like decimated yeah. from the the attempt to capture as much tuna, for example, as possible. Yeah. Dredging once, in the nets. Dredging, trawling, all yeah. these terrible what things. What happens to them? They die and are thrown. They tend to be just wasted. They're not utilized for anything in particular. Right. As far as I know, and as my research showed, mm. it's basically, uh, and in many cases, thrown off the side of the boat. Right. And it's brutal because a lot of these things, if, if you're going out there heading for a larger fish like a tuna or something like that, you know, you have the tools. You got to have the right tools for the job. Yeah. And the problem is, like, you get some other fragile species that gets caught up in that. 
they're going to get screwed up. Seahorses. Broken neck. Yeah. Whatever it is, like broken neck, broken tail, they pick them up. Oh, this ain't what we're looking for. You throw over the board. And then it's died for what reason? No, no reason. Now, I suppose the argument could be made that it's going to feed something else in the ocean. But that's the argument could also be made that you know it wasn't tracked down in such a way where something had to work for it. You know, exactly. it, it, it wasn't a fair fight. Right. And it wasn't a fair fight. And those animals or those uh, species that prey on those uh, thrown off, cast off, bycatch fish could become dependent on this easy catch and right. forget their own instincts. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem with I want my halibut. Well, at what cost or do you want your halibut in a season that it's not running? Yeah, and you and know that there's going to be some corporation somewhere, some company, some fishing entity that's going to want to provide that demand. That's 100%. going to want to meet that because they're going to make a lot of money on it. Yeah, and that's a st- you know, like I think a lot of these larger businesses understand that, you know, there's ebbs and flows. You know, one year it's really hot Chilean sea bass, then it's halibut. Of course, salmon has been a mainstay for such a long time mm. because you want your, obviously, your salmon for your omega fatty acids and yeah. because it's been beaten into us that salmon is so delicious. So and also, delicious. it's so good for you. Right. It'll make you live forever. Yeah. Right? Totally. And then flavor-wise, our desire for fatty but fairly mild flavored fish and meat and really a lot of other things. Yeah. Is is like salmon is the perfect thing for that. It's fatty, but it's not quite as funky as other fatty fish is. It's cool looking because it's pink. Yeah. Anyways, go yeah, on. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, the fact is because we build this demand for these things, there is as we love to say on this show, you can't light a candle without casting a shadow, shadow. right? So yeah. the deal is, people want salmon. Okay, awesome. There's a market for salmon. Everybody's going to put their ear to the ground. They hear the rumbling. Yep. Awesome. How can you get more of the salmon? Yeah. Well, they're fishing, they're fishing, they're fishing, they're trawling, they're trawling, they're trawling. All of a sudden, there's a problem. There's a shortage of, of salmon. All these areas we're going to, we're not hitting anymore. Yeah. Well, why is that? Well, the answer is very simple because you've overfished it. Yeah. Right? So then what do you do then? Well, okay, well, there's still a market's really high. Hmm. Let's farm it yeah okay awesome oh so we God. set that farm up right yeah and there's a, there's a huge rift in that kind of situation because you're either on two side or well, one side of the two aisles there you're either for it because you're not you know absolutely you know devastating the oceans mm-hmm. or you're on the other side where it's they're living in their own feces they're being fed genetically modified food they're carnivores so then they're you know they're being fed other fish from the ocean, which have already either been completely polluted by mercury, you know, mercury-laden uh, catch and you know food and everything else. It's totally, con- totally can't contaminate it or yep. whatever, right? Yeah. So you know, there's where is it? You know, what's the answer? Hmm. I don't, I don't really know, but I think the answer is moderation and everything. Moderation. You know, and that's I what it comes that, down I think to. That's just gotta be like what when it it's is. yeah, when it's salmon season, it's salmon season. That's what you, that's what you eat. Yeah. Or also, like, again, it goes back to the purveyors. It goes back to everything, you know, mm-hmm. on a larger scale. You go to the grocery store. Hey, you want salmon? We don't have salmon. What do you mean you don't have salmon? Yeah. What do you mean you don't have the gravlax? Or at or restaurants. No problem. Or at banquets or whatever. Like, oh, we put menu, we put salmon on the menu, and your bride and your groom and all their guests are expecting salmon as a choice. They've all chosen salmon. 
like pre-ordered salmon. It comes to the day. What happens? Oh, shoot. Salmon went out of season actually a little bit early this year. They decided to stop fishing salmon anymore because it got hammered really hard. There wasn't a lot of reproduction this year. And so we decided as a human species to do the right thing and stop fishing salmon early. So we're, we've got this really great whitefish. Oh my God, what the heck? Everybody wants salmon. And there's like upset over it. Right. So I think, you know, just coming from the catering industry, I think you started at the gate with that. I mean, for us, that's something we struggled with before. I used to label what fish we would have. Yeah. But due to the fluctuation in availability and also paying attention to, you know, like you said, seafood watch there. Yeah. Where, like where things are when it comes to uh, sustainability, like it could change. Right on. And we need to be very smart with all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> what we go right of the gate where it's wood roasted fish. And they say, well, what is fish? Well, it depends on what's in season. Mm -hmm. So if we need to make a game time choice where it's literally a week out. Bonito might be, not be the best decision. Yeah, Bonito is... That was interesting. Funky. Yeah, and that that's the reason why experience. they use it for... That's why they use Bonito for like fish flakes. And yeah. Flavor enhancers. Preserving. Right? Yeah, like it's I really forgot about preserved. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know... Um, there was a guy who loved it, though. And I remember getting a comment from one of the guests. This was a... We're, we're hearkening back on, a, on an event, an heirloom fire event, where we served Bonito because James put on the menu and you got a vendor to go along with you I don't know who it was actually, to just give you what was maybe an invasive uh, species in the region where it fished and or maybe that was in season. And so we were getting different fish almost at almost every event, mm -hmm. like really interesting names, all kinds of different things, sea bream. Mm -hmm. um, and so any, anyway. Triple, triple fin. Triple fin. <laughs> nice. One of them ended up being Bonito, which is actually in the tuna family. It was kind of like the bastard like cousin of tuna. Yeah, it's a straight up just all dark meat. Yeah. It's like rich. It's really strong. Yeah. You know, and I would imagine, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, we've never worked with that. You know, and that was kind of cavalier to go ahead and just cook it over the fire, assuming it could be treated as every other fish has ever been treated, yeah. right? That 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 we cook, and you know, in the we end, with it, man. We yeah, well, with it. you know, in the end of it, you know, there like as you said, there were some folks that liked it. They were like, right? "Wow, that is right. an amazing tasting fish." So, I mean, that's what it comes down to, like subjective taste and understanding. You know, for us, when we've been cooking a lot of other fish that maybe, you know. I'm trying to think about, you didn't come to the event we did in Tennessee, but, you know, Dorado, we had that, which is like this big, beautiful, you know, sort of green type of fish. Have you ever heard of Dorado? Dorado. Yeah. Dorado. Have that you ever heard of Dorado? <laughs> Dorado. <laughs> Dorado. Yeah. I thought you were good? Dorado. Was that good? <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, it, it, it changes. And, you know, a lot of the stuff is like on the fly. Like, okay, awesome, great, let's take it. And yeah. then if I ask, so this goes back to like the situation where, awesome, what does it taste like? And whoever I'm talking to is looking to make the sale. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of this and this. They're not going to say, like, they might not necessarily know. And, again, this comes down to just a larger appreciation of your job on an everyday basis. Yeah. Like, okay, so what are you guys doing? You're cooking it over fire. Uh, here's the deal. This fish is 
pretty strong. It's pretty fatty. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of wild tasting. So I just want to give you the heads up on that. We do have other options or whatever. So that comes down to, again, the conversation of, oh, God, I really want my salmon. I want my Gravlax. Yeah, okay, well, we don't really have that. What do you mean, blah, blah, blah? Well, okay, okay. Well, hang on. Let me just tell you this. We don't, we don't do that because they're not in season, mm-hmm. and we're really trying to you know, respect the ocean. Yeah. It's a bit of a conversation about inspiring people to get yeah. them to understand what's going on in the world, yeah. and by what they're doing, they're making a difference. Yeah. If you can convince other people in the world... Knowledge. I mean, there is that that phrase, knowledge is power. It's not always the solution for everything. But I think that if you're able to share the wealth of knowledge of things you understand, and what is the reason why you're doing what you're doing? If you can share the reason is what it is, you know, that inspires you and it makes sense to you, and you are able to articulate it in such a way that inspires other people, that's pretty amazing. Right on, man. So you can get that done and be like, well, we don't have salmon, but we do have something else here. But that's also on the managers. I mean, it's just, it's again, there's no such thing as a silver bullet. It kind of goes up the ranks where the manager needs to be like, all right, here's the deal. We got to change this week. Salmon's no longer in season. So this is what we got. And then you need to be able to just kind of like how we talk about these podcasts and things. Because we're always trying to look at it from the sense of you guys. Like, what What are the questions you're going to have? What are the questions I'm going to have? If I'm, if I'm watching this podcast, I'm, I'm going to want to ask questions. What's the consumer going to ask? you got to be ready for that kind of stuff. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. Yeah. So you know someone's going to say, hey, what about that salmon? We don't have salmon. Okay, so no problem. What you're going to do is you're going to point them in this direction mm-hmm. because this reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Because this reason. And get people jazzed about that. Yeah. Because the problem we've gotten ourselves into, especially with seafood, many other things, but especially with seafood, yeah. we've created a real problem mm. with salmon and sea bass and, you know, way back, you know, kind of early 90s, late 80s was a swordfish, this whole petition yeah. to no longer eat swordfish yeah. because it goes from here to here to here. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's a big conversation about, like, trying to get people, you know, in the third play, a book by Dan Barber. Yeah. Um, where he talked about having this conversation with this fellow out in Spain. Mm-hmm. Where did you, did you actually read that book? Yeah, I did. That's yeah, really great. So I remember this conversation. He had a dinner with the chef, and then this other sort of I want to say this person that was really I can't remember the name. I feel bad not knowing the names, but this other oceanographer or something it was really. Oh yeah, I remember this. Right, they okay, sat yeah, them down, yeah. and it was like this difficult conversation. Yeah. And like the Spaniard got up and like left the table at yeah. one point because the guy's conversation, the dude who's into sustainable seafood, was like the problem with promoting off catches. Is then you're going to create another problem just like we have this and this and this. But that's not the problem. I mean, again, here I am, Wait, right? what was the other problem that the, he said you're going to create? So you create this desire for off-catch right. or whatever, gotcha. right? So then all of a sudden it becomes everybody wants that off-catch, yeah, off yeah. and then that off-catch becomes basically overfished. Right. But this is, the, I mean, again, here I am, here we are, two Berkshire bumpkins, right, yeah. in the middle of nowhere, and I got all the answers in the world. And it's like, well, Well, you for are me, a smart guy. Well, thank you very much. But Well-read, uh, well-researched. Well, I mean, it's, it's the alcohol, truly. But <laughs> what it comes down to is, like, for me, at least I think about, it's not the problem of, okay, it's never going to be one fish, that's the answer. It's going to be a rotation. We have to understand it with our diet, with everything. If I sat here and drank only water all day and drank gallons and gallons, I'm going to die. If I only ate carrots day in and day out, I'm going to die. If Mm. I only ate whatever. I mean, like you hear about, there's this guy, um, he's a musician there, um, James Blunt, you know, Mm. the song, you're beautiful. Oh yeah. Right. He was on this whole, like, uh, 
meat diet, yeah. a strict meat diet, and he got scurvy. Oh. Who the hell gets scurvy Scur- anymore? <laughs> Nobody. How do you get scurvy if you're a pirate in the 1600s? <laughs> That's how you get it. It's a lack of you know vitamin, vitamin C, C, right? So wow. like you can't just eat one thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. Wow. Yeah, so anyhow, so that's... Um, and then, yeah, you talk about monocultures. Uh, so the earth also can't just grow one thing. No, we look at the uh, Irish, the potato famine, mm-hmm. right? You, you, first off, I mean, like it's corn season right now, and that's the other big thing, where corn, corn is, is like... freaking hardcore on the soil, Yeah, man. it's like basically essentially the McMansion of the soil. It pulls so much nitrogen, so much nutrients out of the soil. Yeah. And at the end of the day, for what? One one stock? You know how Doesn't many years of corn you get? Much. Yeah. Two years of corn per stock. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow, actually. That's exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. If you're lucky, you might just get one. And depending on the quality of the soil, those two years might be shit. Mm. They might be just starchy. Mm. So what the hell, right? So then that's why so many people have to plant other crops on top of it. Nitrogen fixtures, beans. They rotate year to year. You have to because it mm-hmm. pulls so much. But if you're a person that's only in it for the business you just throw artificial you know artificial fertilizers on top of that soil the three minerals that are needed then that's it no extra minerals yeah. nitrogen potassium phosphorus it's npk npk nitrogen, nitrogen phosphorus phosphorus p k, k. we'll come back to that yeah, anyway. leave it in the comments yeah kryptonite so, kryptonite ooh <laughs> shit that's good. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, and then if you don't have that, but the problem is, like, if you keep if you keep planting all that stuff on this soil, people do because <clears throat> if you keep planting all the stuff in the soil, people do that. You have dead soil. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you have all this artificial nutrition, and what does artificial nutrition lead to? Artificial human beings, artificial animals. Yeah, man. And it's not good, right? That can't be good. No. Like, there isn't any, you know, conclusive, long-term, whatever, whatever evidence about yeah, it. Yeah, right, research, yeah. But it's more just like, come on, we're humans. We also have instinct to tap into. Yeah. If something seems weird to us, something is going to be weird. It's about how I uh, feel about factory farming, which is something that maybe we should touch on a little bit, and also local farms. And I think that would tie in nicely with... Um, a question that I had for you that I'm going to ask in a second, which is what makes you passionate about being as being a chef and being from the Berkshires? And I think that you're going to say something about uh, sourcing locally and local meat and family farm and making those kind of beautiful connections. But uh, anyway, wow. factory Are farming. Are you psychic or yeah, you know, just an interviewer? I'm feeding you the line. I'm making you're it easy for you. I you like know what I mean? It's late. I know how you get freaking... You know, brain dead. You start rubbing your eyes and stuff. Yeah. So That's, I'm yeah. just going to feed you lines feed, for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> feed me like a baby bird. Factory farming, man. It's like, it's this huge thing that everyone, te- that I know that a lot of us uh, tend to turn away from. But I think we all feel instinctually that something is weird about that. It's this huge, massive operation that's producing as much meat as we could ever possibly dream of ever wanting and makes it packaged and easy to purchase at a, an affordable price. And I think we're all sort of, I shouldn't generalize, but I'm, I'll just speak for myself then, that I think I have been enamored by that 
ability to be able to get that meat whenever I want and to be able to get it inexpensively and sort of knowing peripherally what's going on and how that's able to be produced to think about the inhumanities and what's going on there and the desire for amassing tons of money at a really low cost for overhead. I think that I have an instinctual feeling as a lot of us do that something weird is there and maybe that'll be something that won't last forever. Maybe it'll change. Maybe we'll be able to focus more on family farms and it'll turn out that small to medium-sized family farms could be the thing that provides us with meat just because we feel better about it. But anyway, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your experiences getting your meat for your company from local farms and stuff? You want me to feed in some of that why, to you? No, you? Why don't you go ahead and tell me? Tell you? Tell me what it is like. What it is like? Yeah, what, what, well, you know, how I do it. No, I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate your generosity. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, I, I, you know, there's so much that you said there that, you know, is going to require so much unpacking yeah. to talk about. Yeah, because totally. that's true. It's all really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Oh, where do I start? I mean, I guess, you know, for me, you know, tell what am I passionate? What do you want me to start with? Yeah, tell me about that passion and about um, your connection. Maybe touch on a little bit your experiences coming up with um, rearing animals, uh, what you saw, and also what you saw um, from the factory farming industry. Yeah. And the mentality and the kind of meat that you were eating then, too. Yeah. So, I mean, for those of you who don't like the sound of my voice, it's a good opportunity to skip ahead about 40 minutes because it's going to be a long time. Here we go. Time. Yeah, I'm going to have a well, snack you, or you, something. Yeah, you know, go to some, take a nap. I'll wake you up as we do. I'll give you a kick when I'm done. As we do. Yeah, as we do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's so starting way back. You know, we talked a little bit about I your childhood. Don't make me cry, by the way. Yeah, I'm we're sorry. getting there. Don't worry. Now okay. I'm going to build up. I'm going to make it real sweet for you. So, um, <laughs> you know, starting way back, you know, it's not like I've come from a hippie background. You know, yeah. I come from a very much like a working class background. Mm-hmm. My family, I think, you know, my grandmother had uh, six children mm-hmm. and... Uh, it was in a point, you know, point in time around, right around the you know, Great Depression, you know, and she had to take care of those kids. Mm. She also babysat a lot of other children. Uh, huh. My father had, or rather, my grandfather had an auto body place, so he was just working all the time. Huh. And um, I think the way I was raised was a reflection of those types of times, mm. where, or rather, not a reflection, but an opposite way, where you know, my grandmother, my grandparents. Um, did a lot of things, you know, that w- stuff was tight. Times were tight mm. and food was short and yeah. all these kind of things. So a lot of stocking up was done, like a baby boomer type of situation, yeah. right? So my mother was born in the 60s, uh, lived through all that kind of stuff, larger family, mm. saw how they struggled. And I remember her specifically telling me when I was a kid, you know, I'm going to raise my child uh, and give him is, you know, everything that I never had. Huh. And I look back on that, I would never... <laughs> has you know if I was to give a ch- if I was ever to have a child which I don't have any currently mm. I would never raise my child like that mm-hmm. you know um because I'm an idiot no no um but it, there's 
you know, I, I just wouldn't do that. Um, because there's an opportunity for things to go off the rails really quickly, mm-hmm. you know. So I was raised, I was raised with, like my mother would go to the grocery store and it would be, you know, each time, oh my gosh, we just and she'd be gone for two hours shopping at the grocery Stop store, piling. Yeah, and it'd be like all these frozen hams, spiral mm-hmm. cut hams, all these things. For what reason? I think we've talked about this many times. So like, yeah. for what reason? Why? Right? The end of the world wasn't coming. It's a sense of security. Yeah. So there was always something in that freezer, mm-hmm. all of the time. And mm. it didn't matter the quality. It was mm. not about the quality. It was about the quantity, quantity. all the time. All yeah. the time. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I got a job at Guido's, which we've talked about. Yeah. And I worked there just because I needed a job. I got, you know, I got a job there. And then I really began to understand seasonality. And I really mm. became interested and impassioned about food, where it came from, the story behind it. That was really the ignition for my love of food. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously you got your, like, you know, things like Food Inc., you know, as I've probably mentioned. The another movie, pod. you mean? Yeah, Food Inc., yeah. yeah. Um, as I've probably mentioned before, another really great documentary that came around, came out right around the same time is called Fresh. You ever see that? Yeah, I did. You did see that? Yeah. So a woman I was dating, her uh, cousin was the lead uh, filmographer on that, whatever. Oh, wow. So that's how I got a copy of it back when DVDs were a thing. Do you remember those? Yeah, I do vaguely yeah. remember those. Do you remember VHSs? Uh, yeah, yes. I remember those, unfortunately. I'm dating myself, but I remember those more than I remember DVDs. Yeah, isn't that funny? I, I literally, so like, a side note, like, I found an old VHS, like a mini VHS. Remember those? <laughs> so mini like, disc? No. No, no, VHS. it was a mini VHS that would have to go inside of a V, like a regular that, size VHS. No. Okay. And that would have to, but like, it would basically, oh, it, it was man, run by a battery that would pull them out. It was like you put this mini, mini VHS into this larger size VHS, mm. and then it would kind of splay it open. Huh. Anyways, the point is, like, it's it really hard to find a VHS player. You have to go to Goodwill. I bought one the other day for $9, but if it went on Amazon or eBay, dude, those things are like over 100 bucks. $100 for a VHS player. So wow. time to start selling if you got it. Make some real money. Hell yeah. Also, so, I think that was before movies like Food Matters ever 100%. would have come out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. No, 100%. Or, yeah. So I got, a, I got a DVD of Fresh, and it changed my life, hands down. Like, you know, it was given to me as a gift. Yeah. And I remember it was like a homemade situation where it was like a sticker on top of a DVD with like a light bulb. Mm. And I was like, oh, let me watch it. And I, I watched it. I was completely captivated. From that point, and Joel Salatin was in there, of course, was also in Food Inc., right? And it was, like, all about his specific way he would rotate his animals. Yeah. It was incredible, and it was so inspiring, and I got so hooked on that, and it forever changed me. Yeah. Therefore, I couldn't shut up. I went around and talked to my parents about, oh, my God, this is how, this is the situation with me. I want you to watch this. Oh, right. And how did your parents respond? My parents decided to then go out and buy half of a cow. That's freaking kind of awesome. Did, absolutely. But they had no place to put it. They didn't have the money to get it. So they had to borrow money from my grandmother. It was $1,200, I think. Wow. Which seems that's a lot. crazy, right? So that was, Although again, from sense. a small that's farm. How, yeah, that's how much a half cow is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and that's the other problem is why is local beef so goddamn expensive? It doesn't expensive? have to be, man, if more of us would buy it. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. 
Um, let me get through my tearjerker, please. Let me have my moment. Let me just cry a little bit. Okay. So now I want to uh, cry too. Okay, we'll get there. Okay. We'll hold hands. So the <laughs> um, yeah. So they they went and got a half a free. Or they went and got a half a cow. Got a freezer. And I mean, the fat was beautiful. It was an amazing cow. It was incredibly lean. And the, for them, you know, coming from a background of eating meat essentially every day or every other day, it was marbled, white fat, whatever. Nice. Like, these big, beautiful chunks of yellow fat on top of it. Yeah. But, you know, you got to be careful with cooking that. As, I mean, most of us who know that are cooking with grass-fed beef, it's lean, so it cooks a lot quicker. Yeah. you got to be careful with that. You overcook it, it's going to be rugged. Got to be like eating your shoe. Yeah. So they didn't have any place, but th- like then there was an obligation to them because they bought it. They felt as they had to eat it, and I can't imagine like eating like that potent beef and also just eating that every single day. So that was the situation they went through, Ugh. and like not having a place to put it. So at the end of the day, right, you get through all that meat, and you think to yourselves, "Oh my gosh!" Every time you think about local beef, there's a memory association. There's a food memory that comes in there where yeah. it's like. Oh, I'd love to do it. But then all of a sudden you remember all that stuff. You had to go buy a freezer, how yeah. costly that was. You had to figure out, go through that stress of figuring out yeah. how you're going to store it. That adds to it. That adds to everything. It and reminds you're like, me of like working out. Like people who like, you'll dive in and work out so hard yeah. and be like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this every day. Yeah, the next exactly. day you wake up, you're so sore and you're so tired and you're like, oh my God, I have to do this again. Yes. Whereas if you started slow, like if you started just doing what you were capable of, you know, yeah, it's instead be of like letting that adrenaline kick in sure. or, you know, getting stoked about a movie and just being like, I'm going to go for it. We're going for it a hundred percent. And yeah. then having this intense experience that you get burnt out on. Exactly. That's what it is. You go in and it's a great way to be, but then you all, if you're going to go that hard, you got to let that little voice inside your head carry you because mm. you're going to come to the end. You're going to be like, yeah, I would love to get local beef, but then ugh, it's going to be this much money. I got to go. I got to find out where I'm going to scrounge this money up from. It doesn't mean you have to go get a half a cow. You yeah. don't need to go get a half a yeah. cow. Find out where your local farms are. Mm. Go there, get your steaks, go get whatever you need. I mean, get a couple steaks, get it for like three times a week or whatever, yeah. right? You know, that's not going to take much space in, in your refrigerator. You don't even need to freeze it. If you want to freeze it, sure, special occasion, throw it in there. Yeah. We don't need to go crazy with it. Totally. You don't let it overwhelm you. Yeah. And be ready to throw down for it, folks. Like, seriously, the price might come down a little bit, just to touch on that again. But these are the, oftentimes the real costs of producing good quality, humanely raised flavorful, delicious, wonderful, family farm, family supporting meat. Right. It costs money. Yeah. So and I it's can it's not s- gonna be cheap. And it's part of that reason that it was inexpensive that allowed your mom maybe to stockpile the freezer that way. Because right. it was inexpensive and that has a draw too. There was probably a deal on ham that week. A hundred percent. But you know why? Probably because the the sticker date was coming up. Mm-hmm. But nobody cares, right? right? They don't look at that. They see the price and that's it. But the problem is the price, the cost, yeah. right? So we're going to go back a little bit more. I mean, for me, I'll tell you, like going back to passion, I mean, a big changing element in my life was raising pigs from Piglet all the way through. This is its... amazing stuff, man. I can't wait to hear this again. Well, It's going to fucking make me cry again. Yeah, I think you want to cry at this point. That's what it feels like. I want to be moved, you know. You want to like feel I want to be once. moved because yeah, for for once, <laughs> for once. No, it's, it's, it's in a well. weird way. Like it's funny, but in a weird way, it's serious, bro. Like I've been desensitized to what it means 
to eat an animal that I knew that I was connected to. I've, I don't, I've not had that experience aside from Oinky. I have not had that experience. And you know how many people out here probably have not had that experience? A lot of Like people. what you're about to share is actually really powerful and eye-opening. So please, my friend, please go. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I will start with saying that, you know, I think if you're going to eat anything, really, you should really research how it, how it comes to be. You want to eat vegetables? Grow a garden so you can understand what happens when you leave something in your refrigerator and it molds and you throw it into the garbage. Yeah. Right? So, like, there, what did it take for that to get to your plate? Hmm. I mean, so that's something I've believed in a long time. Hmm. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, I came to this conclusion that, wow, I know it's a heavy, heavy deal to eat meat. So yeah. I want to explore if I'm going to eat meat, what is... You know, what does that, what does that entail? Hmm. So uh, I found a good local farmer, got some piglets, three piglets. I started off with a landlord, and there was this old sort of shed that was in disrepair, and she had raised piglets there before, and the situation was I had to put in the sweat equity to fix that up, which was a lot. But hmm. whatever, you know, I was committed to the cause. Yeah. Did that. Went and found these piglets, and thank you very much. Yes, sir. And... Uh, got them. It's absolutely cute. I mean, so go to, go to, I mean, if I would challenge you to this, it's a very difficult situation. Mm. Go to a farm, look at the piglets, pick out your piglets, mm. raise them. And, uh, you know, I got the feeder, did all that kind of situation. Mm. Used to go up and get the feed from a local farm up in Pittsfield. Huh. Uh, Wurda's was the farm. It was amazing. You walk into that place when you get the feed and it smelled delicious <laughs> smelled like cereal like molasses and it was so good so they grew all the grains on site and they made the pig food wow so we'd go pick it up get the bags drive it back home and just the smell that just totally perfumed the car it was just delicious wow. I, mean, I would eat it <laughs> get it set up in the the piggery there you know they would go outside and there was a little bit of a little area they'd come in hmm. um you know obviously daily maintenance go out there fill their waterer and you How go out often there. Did you go out there every day. We go out there like, every single day. You went just one time a day, or you only uh, needed to go out there once? Oh, go out once a day, check into them, see how they're doing, making sure everything's all right, you yeah. know, and then go to work. You know, spend probably 10, 12 hours at work. Come home, check into them because mm. at the end of the day, I love animals. I love anything that's around me. Really, it could be animals, it could be my friends, mm. um, and also. Something's wrong. I need to see. It's my responsibility. They're underneath my watch. I would be the alpha in that case. So, yeah. so you know, I knew ultimately we were going to raise them for, for me. So mm. I raised one for the landlord. I raised one for myself. And mm. I raised one for a friend. Mm. So, um, you know, the, the plan was to get them into the slaughterhouse in September. Problem was, uh, we had a really busy. This was working for another catering company. Had a really busy September. Couldn't. I just. I get a little sidetracked. Here in October, it's amazing how much weight they must have put on 25, 30 pounds in that one month. Huh. Wow. And just eating the same amount of feed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, maybe a little bit more. You know, probably. I, I mean, it, it'd be hard to say at this point because that was probably four years ago. It's hard to tell if I was feeding them more feed. Mm. You know, emptying bags and whatever. Mm. Um. Probably more, hmm. you know, and the the fellow that I was working with at that point in time, 
you know, we had gone and done, at this point, I had been a part of many on-farm kills. We had gone, a local farmer had a, like a small ram that had injured his legs that needed to be put down. It needed to be put down. Mm. And that was my first experience with that. And I felt sick to my stomach, mm. you know, to see that. Was no gun. We had to bleed it out. It was very difficult. Wow. You know, I mean, like, basically, just, just in short, the story was, you know, I was busy selling gigs, whatever. I was a catering manager at that point. Mm. I came into work. What's on your schedule today? Well, I have this, this, and this. What else? Well, and this and this. What else? What, why? What's up? What do you need? Well, we need to go up today to, to put down this lamb at such and such's farm. Hmm. Mark, Fir Mark Firth. Huh. So I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Okay. I, at that point, I never experienced that. I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, great. I'll clear my schedule. We went up, and I remember distinctly asking me in his car, should I pack my handgun or just do my knife? I'm like, I don't know, man. I've never been a part of this. He's like, well, it's just, it's just a baby. I'll just use a knife. Wow. So we went up there. All right. And the guy, what basically happened is it's got its leg caught in a fence oh. in the middle of the night. And it was freaking out, trying to pull it out. And it laid itself open real bad on a barbed wire fence. It was basically bleeding. So it was already kind of suffering, feeling mm -hmm. kind of late. So the guy walked in. He's like, all right, we're ready to roll. Never had experienced that. I just watched it. And he, instead of using a gun, he just used a knife to slit its throat. We sat there for probably, I joke you, not 10 minutes while the thing kicked and screamed. And I remember the, the, the owner saying, did you get it? And he's like, yeah, I laid it open. And it sat there and just, from my eyes, suffered. And I just, it was, it was unbelievable to experience that, to see something so little last that long, 10 minutes. Fuck. Wow. That forever changed me. And we had done a few other things like, you know, animals like that. We've put down, you know, I had put down a, um, you know, beautiful Scottish Highland also, you know, and it was difficult, you know, to, to do that. Yeah. So, and the sick part is the more you're exposed to that, the more you're a part of it. I never pulled the trigger. The more you're exposed to it, the more desensitized you yeah. become to it. You get okay the more you do it. Yeah, right. And the moment, like when you're at a farm... It becomes you're waiting for that perfect, precise shot. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, an on-farm kill, I truly believe, is hands down the way to go mm. across the board. If you're going to have to kill an animal. Yeah. You know? I've heard that too. The yeah. same with pigs. Yeah, with pigs. With absolutely. everything. Yeah. It's and painless. Yeah. They don't, hopefully, they don't know it's coming. And hopefully, you're on point with your shot. Isn't there sometimes an extra step of stunning and knocking out? Knocking them out, which is also painless, and then depends. putting the bullet in. Sure, there, there depends on different facilities and what they use. There's an electrified technique where they put a clamp on the animal's brain. They used to use a bolt gun, or some people choose a gun. I mean, like the the one time that was the hardest for me was to watch was a a cow. This Scottish Highland, you know, the whole situation. We rolled in thinking we were going to have to box it in. We got there, it was totally boxed in, and it was doing its thing. Didn't really know any better. All we had to do was, well, all I had to do was be a part of it. Mm. All I had to be done with the other guy was with us to shoot it. Mm. Had a, uh, I think a, a Ruger or I think it was a two 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 rifle, huh. and it bent down. And like, and the point is, the most part that you know, I was completely calm, and I was with two other guys that oh. worked at the butcher shop that had never been a part of it. Oh wow! And of course, they're feeling on edge. I know that feeling. 
I was calm until you you have to notice the slight things like if the animal goes down, you know what the executioner is looking for, for it to bend down and be calm. You want that clear, boom, dead shot right between the eyes. Well, we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and sometimes people can be in conversation waiting for that kill shot. All of a sudden it happens. Those two guys that had never been there were in that middle of a conversation, and the guy I was with pulled the gun up, bam, shot it. It fell to the ground onto its knees, got up, blood was coming out of its nose, and it blew smoke out of its nose. And I remember, and this is the other thing about, weird thing about humans, is that when you're with somebody who, who you think really knows what they're doing, they turn to you sometimes in these moments of distress and say, what do I do? And you, used to that person leading, you don't really know what to do. And I remember specifically that person said to me, what should I do? And I said, shoot it again. And he reloaded the gun, cocked it, shot it again, and it went down. That was it. He asked for the knife. I handed him the knife because that was my job. A bull's skin is much thicker than a pig's, and below that is like a lamb skin is very thin. So he had tried to get through it, and he thought the knife was dull, so he really had to work. Anyhow, he slit the throat because we approximately have about one minute to slit the throat or stick it in its jugular before the heart stops working. And so it's very important that everybody's on point. Everyone's on the same page at that point in time. Especially once you put it down, there's a whole reaction that happens to the animal. Have you been a part of anything like that? No. It's surreal in a lot of ways. You put the animal down, and then it goes quiet, and there's a bit of a shaking, convulsion type of situation that's happening. You slit its throat, it bleeds out. It's still going to shake. And then it goes quiet for about maybe 10 seconds, and then it lets out like this incredible, almost like it's running for its life one last time. Whoa. Before it dies. And it's, uh, if you're standing there, you can get really screwed up. Get really hurt, like kicked hard or something like that. So it's very important that you know those types of things. Uh, so, yeah, and then after that, you know, he went and got the tractor, pulled it up, and went. To, we went to business. You know, we had to gut it and get the skin off. The skin's about a quarter inch thick. Mm. So that was that. Going back to my pigs, you know, I had the pigs. Yeah. Raised them. Everything was great, you know. Do you and have I, names for them? Yeah, well, it's kind of silly names. Uh, there was Big Black, who was a large black pig with the flappy black ears that went over its eyes. Hmm. Uh, there was Little Black, who was a Berkshire breed pig. It had the little white boots, a white strap on its belly. And then, uh, actually, I don't remember the, there was like a Yorkshire pig, which is a yellow, or rather a, a pink pig. Imagine hmm. a yellow pig. How wild that pig? <laughs> it was a pink pig. Um, kind of kind of like your typical pig. Hmm. And... Uh, so they all had kind of rough names. I was very, you know, cautious not to name them anything specifically because it was, uh, you know, it, it'd be difficult, right? So like I, the whole time I had them at arm's length, that last month, that last month by letting them go that long, I connected with them a lot more. Hmm. And I will tell you, pigs are really smart. They're really smart. Yeah. And so. I say on the same level as dogs. I believe that. I believe because you think about it, like my dog is three years old right now. Hmm. And those pigs were less than a year old, maybe nine months old, mm. and they're really smart. Mm. If I let those pigs go to three years old, how smart would they have been? Yeah, never know. But mm. clearly, 
You know, like obviously, I mean, there's there's all different kinds of conversations. Like I would come out, they yeah. would come out, <laughs> whatever, and like yeah, they look at me for food. They know I'm coming. They want food. Yeah, sure. But also, just to look at them play. They would bark like dogs, <laughs> and they would run around. Mm. You know, they were really interesting little creatures. So I got, I worked with a farmer. Yeah, I've heard they have different personalities. They really traits. have personalities. Like they have personalities. They have the ability to like care for others. They have the ability to look out for each other. Like they will protect each other if one of them's in trouble yeah. and they've gotten and they're like close to each other, they'll connect and one will help to protect another one. They know they potentially know how to get out of the pen. Uh, oh, sure. And they make a decision not to in some cases, mostly because they love you. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, right. So the hardest part for me was talking to these, uh, going, going to a farmer, and um, the day came. I was working with another guy, and he's like, mm -hmm. all right, same guy that I was, had, that I was a part with all these uh, on-farm kills with. He was going to help me put these animals down because it was the way to be. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we went, got the vehicle. We got the livestock trailer. And we hooked it up, brought it to there, and everyone told me, all these farmers, like, oh, man, the hardest thing's going to be getting those pigs into the livestock trailer because mm. they're just not going to want to go in there. What you got to do is you got to put their food in there and let it sit for 24 hours. Yeah. Then they'll come in, and once they come in, shut the door behind it. I feel like it, it wasn't that way for you. No. The moment I walked in, the moment I walked into the livestock trailer, I put the food down. And I said, here, pig, 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 pig. They came running in. The easiest part was getting them into the pen to lead them to their death, hmm. which is really hard. So that was devastating for me. I immediately got super emotional. And then, you know, shut them in the pen, let them do their 24 hours, as I was told. Or whatever, it was 12 hours in that case. Next day, like that whole night, it rained like crazy. Hmm. So the next day, we came to get the vehicle, you know, to, to pull it out. We got stuck in the mud. We went to the hardware store, oh. got like a winch and all this stuff, couldn't <laughs> get the vehicle out. Oh. Went to this farm. We got the livestock trailer from, got a tractor to pull the thing out. Hmm. Basically, we spent all day getting this thing unstuck. <laughs> got it to the farm. And by the time we got it to the farm, it was too late to do the, the processing. Huh. So, what happened. so we had to leave them another day. That meant, and like, as it common practice goes, you don't feed these animals for 24 hours because when you're cleaning, you don't want any feces in their right. intestines. Mm -hmm. So it's a clean job. Mm -hmm. I couldn't handle that. <laughs> I snuck there huh. to the farm and fed them apples. Holy shit, dude. Because I couldn't stand the oh idea of them starving another day. Yeah. You know? So, uh, did that. The next day was the one of the hardest days of my life. I showed up at the farm. I had a 250-gallon uh, oil container cut in half. We started a fire into the bottom of it, brought it to a boil. Very, very hard to do an on-farm kill when it comes to pigs because you need to scrape all the hair off and get the, you know, the first layer of skin. Mm. It's very challenging with the collagen in the skin. Yeah. So we got that up to a boil, had the tractor right out there, had the trailer open, and what we did was, you know, the guy that I was with had went in, and, you know, for him, he had no connection to these animals. 
just like when you and I talk through voice memos, I have no connection with what's like going business. on in your life. And it's very easy for me to connect and kind of tell, you know, Which kind is of helpful in that yeah. instance. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, here I am petrified, like, what's the right thing to do? I hear the rifle go off. The you pig heard drop. It? Oh, of course. I mean, I was standing right. I was standing right feet away. Shit. And to his credit, he made the shots count. Every count, every shot going to the point. Pig dropped, reached in, stuck it in its throat, bled it out. Yeah. It's really interesting, though, because when you do that, the rest of the pigs around them, they, mm. don't, they don't react. There's no huh. fear. They just go about their business. Huh. So it's doing its whole thing, it's kicking. And then the interesting reaction for myself was that once the life had left the animal, it became business as usual. Like, mm. you know, I worked at the butcher shop, so I saw many things. And I've been a part of yeah. farm kills. And I switched yeah, my mind completely changed to, yeah, right. to business as usual. So we did the whole thing, was scalded. I had kept my mind on what needed to be done. Scalding, scraping, very hard to get all that hair off of it. Used a saw to cut the pig in half, loaded them in the back of my car, brought them to the butcher shop. The guy was kind enough to let me hang my pigs there and then break them down and use all the bags to process them. Brought them in, hung them on the rails, let them cool completely. How are you feeling at that point? Numb. Numb. I mean, you know... I went through it. I was in shock, and I had to switch into a, a point of like this mental state of just being numb and focusing on the task at hand. So it was like taking your pet. It was like taking a pet. It was, but but because I was so focused on that state, I became completely disconnected and very numb. So what happened? Did it feel like a relief now to be able to just focus on no what you knew? No. There was no that. relief. It was numb. There was no nothing. I will tell you when it mattered, when it, when it changed was, you know, I loaded in the car, I went over, hung them up at the butcher shop. When I went inside of the trailer, because that, you know, the trailer was done, I wanted to make sure there was no mess or anything else left there. When I went to collect the food container, mm. the moment I put my hands oh, on the shit, food container dude. was when I realized, like, everything hit me where it's like, that was it. They're gone. It's the last time I'm ever going to touch this food container. You know? So that, that, that was the sort of linchpin in the situation where it was like, well, you know, that's it. You know? It's, it's done. Yeah. The next day I went in, or they hung for, I think, maybe two days or so to let the rigor mortis get out of it. Went to the butcher shop, broke all them down, same deal. Switched to a numbness. Got through what I needed to do, cryovacked everything, got the meat where it needed to be. Mm. Every time I went to eat that meat was then the story of where it came from. Mm. You know, then that sort of, there was a little bit of a prayer, a thank you, and all that kind of stuff. And an honoring that nothing would go to waste. Mm. Not Not a single thing. And, yeah, it would absolutely, you know, in retrospect, as I think about my dog now, mm. it's, there's really no difference between that. And that's a difficult part is, like, would I ever put my, my own dog down, which is like a child to me, honestly, for food? Yeah. Absolutely not. But why is it okay why? that I did those pigs? Because I was told that it's okay. Because we've been conditioned to believe 
that. And this is a difficult topic to discuss for me, especially because my business is really, you know, yes, we cook vegetables in a really beautiful yeah, way. But the and showstopper yeah. is always meat. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's a big part of many people's cuisine. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the discussion comes down to, like, what do you, you know, and that that's why it's so important to understand where it comes from and to not waste. I mean, for me, that absolutely galvanized my resolve to never waste anything, to not let anything go away. And I yeah. truly believe that not everyone is ever going to understand that unless they go through those same things. And that's where there is a massive disconnect. I almost feel like in a lot of ways, like before you ever buy meat in a grocery store, there needs to be a video that you're watching. I think that would be an interesting idea, man. Like, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I also think that there's not going to be much of an, of an experience that's as powerful as experiencing it yourself, as actually seeing it. And while it sounds like watching some slaughters and even being a part of them uh, had a profound effect on you, there was nothing as powerful as raising your own animals and bringing them, ushering them into the end of their lives and then turning them into meat. That is the ultimate powerful experience that will have an effect. And it's an experience that not many of us are going to be able to have. And how can we take, how can we feel that onto a level that you have in order to become motivated enough to truly cherish the meat that we are eating, you know? Well, I'll do you one better is that, I mean, for me, I did all that stuff, but you asked me earlier, like, how, what is my, like, how do I justify eating this, you know, whatever, yeah. that you don't really know that comes from it. Right. A lot of that, I mean, it's not like, you know, I've, you know, been bathed in this, like, you know, ebony cloth and dunked <laughs> in specific water or whatever, I've still dabbled back in that kind of stuff. The yeah. question is why? Why did I become why? okay with it? Where did I lose my way? Mm. How did that become okay? Where have we lost our way, like, as, a, as humans? Yeah, and it's, I think, the, the, the accessibility. You know, like, just to kind of talk about, so we've talked, you know, I kind of walked the whole process, and those animals, you know, they didn't even know what was coming to them, those, those three pigs. And it's very difficult, right? Now you get the flip side of it. Even with the best farm, the best local farm you can find in your area, where are they having their pigs processed? Right. Due to laws so in the usually, USDA. Yeah, go on. Due to the USDA laws, in order to sell something to a restaurant, to a butcher shop, whatever, you have to bring it to a slaughterhouse that has a USDA certified inspector on yeah. site. So to I know. Right, right. So I don't know about other regions of the world, but around here, there's what? How many? Oh, it's short, man. There's, <laughs> so right where we are, there's one over, right over the border. We're in Richmond, Massachusetts, right over the border in Canaan, New York. Yeah. There's one. Yeah. And the closest other one is Hilltown, or rather, I'm sorry, Eagle Bridge, yeah. which is way out. That's like, what is it, two hours from here, maybe? Yeah. You know? And there's a massive shortage of, the more attractive way to say it is abattoir. That's the French version, but it's a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's, there's, there's a shortage, and that's a real problem, you know. And also, if I want a pig, you know, processed or whatever, next, you know, in, in September or whatever, November, 
October or whatever, I need to line it up like three months ago. Three months ago. Absolutely. And, Be ready to go right, when because, they're almost still piglets. Yeah, absolutely. Because you need to, to forecast it and you have to really good farm it and understand at that point, you know, where the weight is or whatever because there's a long line there. There are challenges with, with growing and producing local meat. And a lot of those challenges have been uh, ameliorated in factory farming. They, those are not so much challenges anymore. And yes, there's a cost. There's an incredible cost to that. Um, but there are gigantic farms where the experiences that you had of uh, watching and witnessing an animal being put down are happening like almost by the second, every second you could say that there's an animal being slaughtered right now and it's not being slaughtered in the way that you described. No, it's a business. It's a it's business. Not, there's, no, there's no sensitivity about it. There's no. a quota. And there, there are those quotas, yeah. And it's, done, it's being done in a way that spares cost as much as possible. So there are corners being cut in order to do it as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible. Yeah. And there are also people on the floors there who are not operating in a humane way as much as it's spoken about that they, that they should be and that they are or that, that these factory farms are monitored. There's stuff happening on the floor, man, like atrocious, terrible, inhumane things every day, playing around with cattle prods on animals Slaughter, like cutting animals apart before they've been slaughtered. <sighs> so much terrible stuff. Like animals being hung over dead animals that were not starved properly uh, so that their feces is dropping on animals that are still alive that are about to be slaughtered and, being, and are being ushered into a slaughterhouse scared for their lives because they're sensing that something is going on. Yeah, I mean, like... You know, it starts way back with, and this is why I'm a huge advocate for more, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but there's got to be more, um, there's got to be more on-farm kills, and I don't know how you do that, and maybe it's, I mean, with poultry, you can do that with, you know, there's mobile poultry units. Yeah, we get our chickens and there's from. more of an allowance for chicken you can you can slaughter a lot of chickens on a farm yeah a specific amount where speaking to one farm like over in new york state you're allowed to slaughter x amount i want to say it's 100 or i, I can't remember how many it is yeah i can't remember in vermont i can't remember what it was it's 100 so uh, i could be wrong it could be in the 200s actually right like per it's, what, it's much more reasonable right so i mean you know you got to figure based off of the experience i just was talking about and then you know, okay, so great. I gave my animal, fed them on organic feed. I gave them everything they wanted for their entire life. Loved them completely, like they were the only things, whatever, right? Slaughter day comes. Get them into the livestock trailer. Now, we get them, hook it up to the thing. We drive it on the highway or whatever we need to go. It could be an hour away. You're driving. Okay, so what is that animal feeling? Having never been exposed to that? Crazy noises. Right, like smells, jostling around. Jostling. Right, and then, so that's stress-inducing for anything that's a sentient being. That's tricky part. 
Then you pull up, you get to the slaughterhouse, right? You do your business, you go in, check, oh, my name's so-and-so, Farmer Ed, or whatever. Okay, great, leave, leave your trailer here, or whatever it is, back it up, blah, blah, blah. All right, they get pulled into a place with noises they've never heard, smells they've never experienced, animals screaming. And then, you know, they're, le- and they're also met with people that aren't also as understanding as you have been. Yeah. Right? T- calling, coming out, calling them by their names. Talk to them, being very sweet to them. Mm. Now it's, you got to, okay, so what do we got in the docket today? We got to get through 50 head. Ugh, going to be a rough day. Yep, okay, <laughs> all right. And then it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. it's hard to, at that point in time, when you have those types of quotas you need to meet, it's hard to be humane. Mm. It's, you know, a lot of those people that are working those floors are not. I mean, I spoke to one dairy farmer and said, you know, that, he did that for a while. It was the worst experience in his life, mm. you know? And so you get him through there. And like you said, there's absolutely humane, like inhumane things that are happening. Mm. So, and then you hear the horror stories, forget all the rest of that stuff is that there are other stories where people don't actually get back their animal that they bring in, yeah, which is horrible. Right. I mean, there's been a lot of questions, uh, with local slaughterhouses here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's tricky. So, like, what is the alternative there? You know, I mean, at the end of the day is in a perfect world, an absolutely perfect world. All right, so we talked about some of the stuff. We've gone deep yeah, here. Yeah, what would happen in a perfect world? So, take away, I mean, so, like, even going on a larger scale of things, right? Yeah. We talk about things on a global scale. Uh-huh. Mass-produced farms. Uh, you know, big, huge factory farming situations. Yeah. You look at the greenhouse emissions, all this kind of stuff, those big pools they have of waste. Uh, clearing lots of land to have animals on there. Tons of land, yeah. All right. So then, so what, what, so you take away all of that, right? Like all the implications that it has on nature. What's the thing that's left is that you are putting an animal down mm-hmm. against its will. Now, the argument is that, you know, we're a higher life form. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I, I, are I, we? Yeah, that's the, that's the tricky part. That's is, are the tricky we? part. Is it because we've been told that we are? I mean, yeah, obviously we can speak. We speak a language. We have some ability but, to reason or whatever, right? We have this prefrontal cortex that right, enables us to think about things. It's enabled us to make decisions that some animals have not made or been able to make. Does that make us more than any other animal? Or does it not? Are we forgetting our connection and our relationship and our understanding that we are on the same level as other animals? Like we are defined as animals. It's probably maybe the second definition in, in, the, in a dictionary, a human. It's, it's an animal, it's a form of animal. We are mammals. We exist in the animal kingdom. Is it, are, do we have a right to say that we are the superior, like, beings over all things and that we have the right to conquer nature and we have the right to enslave animals and slaughter them and treat them with no care whatsoever and process them by the hundreds of thousands each week, by the billions and billions each year? just so that we can have a couple of bites of a meat that maybe we like and then throw the rest out in the garbage? 
It's a difficult uh, question, right? I mean, even if it's like you said, you know, with no care whatsoever, even if there is all the care in the world, what justifies us to be able to do that? Yeah. Uh, yes, we're the apex predator. I mean, that's what we've potentially always done, or yeah. at least is what we've been told. I mean, my we my were surviving, goal, just yeah. like other animals. Yeah. No, we were surviving, so yeah. we pr- we seek our prey. I mean, my goal with all this whole podcast is to be able to question everything and look at things from a different perspective. Yeah. You know, and that's not that we're going to be too, too like, oh, too froofy or whatever, but this is the way that it is. Like, like that's what we've been told. Mm-hmm. This is what we've done. Yeah. Is that is that truth? I don't know. But also, you know, as we talked about earlier, is the, the you know, as us as, you know, by back to like Homo erectus, the moment we started to be able to cook food over a fire, including meat, and consuming meat, make it more palatable instead of just chewing on just a small piece for all day, we are yeah. able to cook it, break it down through the whole enzymatic sort of uh, process. You know, were we, uh, you know, that, that's great. It helped our brains grow. Now, there's also the argument about carbohydrates that help our brains right. function Is as it, well. Was it that? What was it? I don't know. Yeah. There's that talk about how the human species, or the, I've heard this before. Uh, I didn't research it want much. I just heard from there's a particular guru who I am often inspired by, who says a lot of really inspiring things in the in the Kundalini yoga tradition, who believes that the human race basically split in two at one point early on between the meat eaters and the vegetarians. That canine teeth weren't actually developed to eat meat. They were developed to like chew vegetables a lot and that that's what we're supposed to be doing with them and that this uh we split off and the meat eaters are currently in dominance of the world they are the warmongers the aggressors the ones who are violent the ones who have dumbed down their ability to be intelligent to eat meat uh that is dumbed down like cows being this just sort of like stocky kind of unintelligent in a way animal um and to just and so couple that with being aggressive while the vegetarians have gravitated more towards peace and meditation and you know getting in touch with themselves and getting in touch with god and all that kind of stuff yeah that's really really weird so anyway with theories prevailing but the most uh, believable one, or the most that the one that we have most accepted, being that we have evolved as a race from eating meat, and that our brains have developed from eating meat, right? So continue. Well, no, that's. Um, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because do we? question i you know i have to ask is you know we get to the point where now yeah sure we've done that do we continue to eat meat or is there you know i mean like there's this whole other thing where there's alternatives to meat yeah and they're getting pretty advanced man they're getting pretty sophisticated and and in regard to that amalgam of them being natural or artificial tasting and feeling they're becoming like pretty pretty freaking realistic yeah, it's very interesting. You know, there's, of course, you know, I remember way back when, you know, I was sort of just getting into, uh, you know, looking at food. There was like the, uh, I don't know, Sunrise or some type of, you know, organic type of... Morningstar. Uh, Morningstar, thank you. Yeah, there'd be like a, a vegetarian burger, and it always had that sort of just weird, it tasted like it was off. You know, yeah. it was like, you know, what's attractive? If, if, you're, if, if you're coming from an area where someone's like a meat eater, how do you 
make it interesting, attractive to those types of people. You know, and there's also this whole other, you know, prospect of there's something called Memphis Meats, which uh. is really not necessarily a, a farm. It's a really like a tech almost in a way, like a biotech company. Yeah. They are creating lab designed meats. And, you know, it kind of started off like just in a Petri dishes where it was like super thin proteins where they would, you know, basically look at an animal protein synthesize it and put it yeah. together or whatever and then yeah. it's the thin layers and they would stack them on top of each other mm-hmm. and it was pretty like a crude situation but mm. they've come a long way where they've designed these like containers that they mm. call cultivators mm-hmm. where you know they literally can grow whole muscles inside of that so it could be like say a chicken breast yeah. a beef roast or whatever yeah. and um I haven't, as, to my knowledge, it's not commercially available yet. Right. They are not. And it's still potentially, like, really freaking expensive. Although the I'm price sure. is dropping, I guess, all the time. I'm yeah. not sure where it's at now, but there's points at which it was $10,000 a pound. Or it which would be if it yeah. were available. Yeah. And then the question is, like, where does that price come from? It's got to be some, like, startup to get all of this technology and everything else. I mean, obviously, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. To be able, who's ever going to afford that? Nobody. Mm. So, you know, the question then becomes if you're a vegetarian, a vegan, whatever, if you're eating it for ethical reasons, do you then, can you eat it? Um, because nothing was harmed because of it. Yeah. I mean, a perfect world situation has no, you know, ecological impact. Right everything is fine, then do you then take an animal's life against its will? They don't even, they have no clue. And then you transition to this idea of like, well, let's forget all that. Do we transition into eating meat? But then we come at, you know, we, we look at it from the aspect of a science-based mm. aspect and then eat that, right? Yes. Yeah, so what does that mean then? Because it's a cost for everything. It means the population of livestock is going to go way down. You're looking at folks that have been doing, you know, maybe third generation livestock farmers, cattle herders. Mm-hmm. They're going to be out of business. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know what the answer to that is. Is that correct? You mm-hmm. know, do times change where they look at things and say, yeah, you know what, we got to pivot. Just like we're all doing right now during the COVID situation is even though, I mean, for me, I'm not doing any weddings this year. So we've had success doing cooking classes, maybe some micro weddings here or there. Restaurants have pivoted, pivoted in certain ways to yeah. do smaller outside stuff. Yeah. You know, everyone's moving around. So is just because something has been a certain way for three, four generations, is that still relevant? I mean, there's so many things in our society that are, you know, that are out of date. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What makes us make a transition, a, a big transition? That's a great question. Like, well, how does do it come have, naturally? What do we have to let go of yeah. in order to be able to do that? You know, a lot of it that we have to be able to let go of is uh, reason. For, that's, that's the first answer that comes to mind. There are other answers, too, which is like uh, some answers are that we've become comfortable in the way that things are. There's systems that are set up. They've been operated. There are the entities that are making money on it. Everything's going well. Of course. Uh, we've become accustomed to being able to eat what we want and when we want, yep. uh, all that, going back to the other stuff that we've spoken about here in this last hour and 47 minutes. <clears throat> um, but for me, what it comes down to is our thinking, our reasoning, where our thoughts get in our own way to yep. progress. Just talking about ethics of meat 
at all implies that we're, we are applying reason instead of applying instinct, instead of applying emotion, instead of applying yeah, like feelings behind what feels like the right thing to do in the, right, in the moment. Ethics, there's not, and if you really think about it in a certain way, and just to blow out what the ethics of meat really means, uh, there, there's no ethic involved. There's no good ethics about eating meat. You're destroying an animal. You're killing in order for you to be able to survive. You're killing something that otherwise would choose to live. And you're doing it forcefully. There's nothing good about that. That's not good, I yes. guess, from so, one particular perspective. Right? Yeah, so, so saying all that out loud, I have to challenge you a little bit. Saying all that out loud, yeah, yeah how does that feel? Not good. Right? No, exactly, not right. good. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do to change your life tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to have to learn how to live with that, first of all, which is something that I suppose I sort of have in a weird way because I'm still eating meat all the time. Yeah. Uh, even, and I went through a long period of time being a vegetarian, and I went back to it. So there's coming to grips with the fact that that's what has to happen. And maybe the way that I could come to grips with that is to understand my connection with the rest of nature, that I am an animal just like other animals, and there are some animals out there that seek their prey, and that survive at being able to eat meat. And it could be that my physiological form, that the human form, needs to have the meat. And in order to do that, we're going to have to kill. We're going to have to slaughter animals in order to do that. So I have to come to grips with that. The way that I can do it for myself is to make sure that as much as I possibly can, when I can be in control of it, I will source locally, and I will eat meat that's from not super far away. And if there's any way that I can have a connection to that meat, I will have it. Maybe one day I will raise my own animal. I don't know. I don't know if I will do that or not. And maybe also another way, and just to bring, wrap this all up and start coming in for a landing here, is that when, in those moments when I am being challenged to make a choice about eating meat that I know is coming from a factory farm and that definitely feels not good if I knew exactly how the particular animal I was about to buy was slaughtered, if I definitely know like that's going to feel yucky to know that information, if I'm confronted with the choice of taking that or of waiting in a line for an extra few minutes for something that's maybe not entirely local, like how we talked about Guido's a little bit, but that's at least a little more local, maybe from a little bit closer by, and maybe from a farm that tries to at least message or say that they're humanely raised. If I can do that, I will do that. If I can find a farm stand, and this is what I'm gonna resolve right now for you, man, and for myself, and for my family, and for my babies, that if I can find a farm where I know they've got a freezer or whatever, actually, I know them all. One of them is three minutes from my parents' house who I go visit at least once a week. I can pop by the freezer. I can pick up some meat. I drop cash into a cash box and be on my merry way and have meat for the week that I didn't have to go to a supermarket for and source factory farm meat. That's, those, are the small, those are the things that I can do.
What right. do you so think what, you can do? So, well, the, the question is like, what is it? It just comes down to planning more. Planning more. And eliminating this idea in our brains that we're too busy to do this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, absolutely. You know, I, I think a lot of people, you fall into this category of, oh, God, I just wish I could, but I'm just so busy. Yeah. You're not too busy to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, and that's what it comes down to is you got a day off. I know, I mean, we're, we're in COVID times now. So you don't yeah, have those situations where time. you're like, you're not like on the grind. Maybe, maybe some of us are, right? Where you're working five days a week. You're crazy. You're going on. You got a lot of responsibilities. Built something in there. There's got to be a time, even if it's your day off, even if it's your day off, dude. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like go totally to, yeah. you know, line it up. Be like, all right, next every week I'm going to this farm. I'm setting up. I'm going to get this this amount from this farm yeah. for the business. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I mean, people are so this, this common thing we fall into when it comes to jobs, where it's like, it's not my job, not my job. You yeah, know, I'm not, not getting paid job. enough for this and this. The question is, like, Classic. it's not even about like you know a monetary. How can you put a monetary value on what's right, what feels good? Switch that out with, you know what? Hey, you know, if I got to go there. I'm going to buy this stuff. I got a company card or I'm going to get reimbursed or whatever. Go there and do that. And then how proud are you going to feel to be like, yeah, oh my gosh, I did my part to change. And this sounds ridiculous, right? To change the world. But every choice you make changes the world. Yeah. Every time you go to the grocery store, everything you buy yeah. has a huge impact. Definitely. People don't understand that. You are voting every time. Grocery stores, even Walmarts or big, huge, massive chains aren't going to carry something that does not sell. A lot, of, a lot of Walmarts are switching in certain areas to buying local produce from farmers because that's what people are asking for. Yeah, so absolutely. So you got to push for that. Play push the for system. It. And if you can't get it, yeah, your life is convenience-based. I get it. Minus two, yeah. right? Go Minus play their two. game. Exactly right. Like you said, you know, play mm. the game. Go pick, hey, you know what? Put suggestion box in, you know, emails, whatever. Tons yeah. of stuff. Pound it down because if you do it, you get your friend to do it. You get a handful of people to do it. You know, basically every person, there's this whole chain, right? Where you, so you tell one person one thing, there's a possibility that 10 people will do it. Spread that stuff. Absolutely. Spread it, right? Because that's, at the end of the day, I don't know what the solution is here. But I, I truly believe that, you know, no one place can feed the entire world. Mm. It has to be, I, I truly believe, on a county basis. Like every county has, I believe uh, that too, man. You know, every county has a highway department. They should have an agricultural department, and these types of places, you know, should be able to advocate for having, you know, giving stipends to farms to grow. I mean, a couple farms to grow that county's allocation for onions, carrots, whatever. Same situation yeah, with beef, man. chickens, eggs. That's what eggs. we should be paying taxes for. Yeah, and then like that's... That taxes go to federal government, and the federal government disperses money for stuff like that. Yeah, and that's, a, that's, that's something I think in this area I need to figure out who to talk to because I'm a little bit dumb when it comes to that, but that's something I've yeah, been saying too. for years. And yeah. it's got to be possible, and there's got to be incentives because there are some farmers out there that bust their humps to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So how can we get that, you yeah. know? And then you start that sort of chain, that sort of incubation. It worked here. How can we get the next 
county to do it and whatever and ever else, yeah. you know? And then, like, not only does that include more jobs, but it also just, yeah, I mean, it includes in all jobs all over. Like, totally. if you're getting a stipend, that gets a little bit more money to farms to be able to, you know, uh, hire more people to make sure that they're making their quotas of carrots. Or if they have a bad year, okay, well, you got a couple other farms that are producing the same things. That's the only way it's going to work. That's the way we're going to feed the world. We shouldn't have to be relying on California to get our organics, our Cal Organics carrots from yeah. in the middle of December. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, man. If yeah, there's a way that we can adjust, I mean, what you're speaking is radical. Like, it's for, for us, it really is. It seems so simple. And it's so incredibly difficult to do that. There are so many systems in place, man. There are so many powers also to get by who will throw obstacles up every step of the way, who will like throw litigation at you, huge lawsuits who have the ability, they have the ability to do that and be like, you ready to freaking pony up and get ready to battle and throw down a lot of your money in order to fight through to get this kind of legislation pushed through for local economies, for local farming, you know, for mid-level CSAs. What's crazy to me to think about, like, we have to eat, right? Yeah. Food is essential for us to develop, for us to survive. Yeah. Why do we not fight for it? Fight for it like our lives depend on it because it does. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. It's crazy that that is not happening. No, because and, and, and we've and been I, dumbed down, man. Like, we, we can get this stuff conveniently. We can get this stuff yeah. cheaply. Like, why fight when we can get that? Right. And that's, and that's the problem where it's like, um, you know, you get into a situation where maybe somebody has a voice. They speak up and someone's like, ah, no, because this is the way it is. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, thanks for telling yeah, me. Yeah, thank you. Put your head down you move on. Put your head down and go to work or put your head down and do, you know, go Drone back to away. your grind or do whatever yeah. else it is that you're like, think that you're supposed to be doing. That's, uh, I think it's time. I mean, it's, it's happening in certain places, but I think the takeaway for today is it's super important to educate yourself. If you're going to eat, where does your food come from? Where does what is it the implication? What's the cost? Yeah. That's what it is. What it comes down to is what does it cost? Mm. Not what is the price, not what is the price. Yeah, it's not literally a monetary price, but what is it costing everybody? And that's deeper, man. That's a deeper way to think about it. People don't want to see it. You know, you go to the grocery store, you get your chickens. I don't want to see it. I hate seeing it. It's in the, yeah, I mean, and it's horrible. And I have to tell you for many, many years, I mean, this is a difficult conversation for me is like I've been saying to Simeon is that I didn't look at this like I I have, but it's uncomfortable. I mean, nobody ever wants to be told what they're doing is wrong, right? Like Mm -hmm. they want to feel good about their choices. And if the decisions they're making could be better, Though they feel a little bit stressed because we've been conditioned to, we have to do this, this, and this all in one day. You want to go for the, uh, you know, least common denominator or whatever, the easiest, the path of least resistance. Least resistance. And you you don't, you don't, you don't want to challenge everything. Right. So, but you got to look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, where is it coming from? You know, is it really going to put you in a difficult position to go to a farm, figure out where they are. You go out, you get gas. Okay, well, how far is my thing? You might not be going to the grocery store. Yeah. You get your milk and everything else and your cereal, whatever else you need. How far is it from? Just go and get it. Just go and build that into your daily routine or your weekly routine. Mm-hmm. What, however often you go shopping, build that in. 
Mm-hmm. Make it happen. Yeah. Support these people because at the end of the day, these people are just like you. They're trying to make it work and they're trying to do things with the best of abilities. And even if you've got questions, ask them. Ask to speak to somebody. Yeah. And that'll be, I bet you 99% of the time, any of these people at these small farms would be happy because they're doing it. They're not doing it to make millions of dollars because they don't make millions of dollars. Yeah. They're doing it because they're deeply passionate about what they're doing and they have a bigger dream to change the community. Yeah. So you ask, they will happily tell you everything that they're doing and you can actually see and feel it. And how nice does that feel Yeah. to actually be able to support those people for trying to make a difference? Yeah. So many people have farms that go out of business because they just can't make it <sighs> because they're competing against a bunch of nonsensical stuff. Exactly. Because they, people aren't willing to question themselves or ask bigger questions. Well, why is this so much cheaper? Why would I go to this farm and spend $2 more a pound when I can go to the grocery store, whether it's vegetables or meat? Mm-hmm. Because you have no idea what, it's, what it takes, Yeah. What, it, what the cost is. Right. Right. So figure that stuff out. Yeah. And get excited about it. Totally be happy. And then spread the word. Tell everyone around you. Get other people inspired. Once you've become inspired, spread the word. Yeah. Get people excited, man. You know, depend wherever you are. I mean, we're in the East Coast, so we have a short season. Get excited. Tell people. (laughs) Get people to plant their own gardens. Get excited. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to eat food. Why not enjoy it? But also be super proud about the story behind it. Mm. Talk about how inspired other people are while they're growing it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. There's a, whole, there's a whole thing there. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's magic. It's why I ended up becoming a chef, man. Like, it, were the, it was those profound experiences, Oinky being one, and a lot of other ones uh, coming up in my life. But it was, and, and a lot of it was, showing up, buying a CSA, a community-supported agricultural share at a farm, and showing up there on Saturdays and picking up my little portion of meat and my little portion of vegetables that were grown there, and then being uh, availed to the flowers and like, yeah, just pick as many as you want, whatever, it's all good, tons of flowers this week, and then being able to go to the berry patch and picking berries and seeing the families and seeing the families and connecting with the farmers. That was like, oh my God, like this is why. This is like, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with this. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to cook this stuff and I'm gonna cook it beautifully and amazingly and in a way that like shows its respect as much as I possibly can, shows it respect. Yeah, we've become very disconnected in so many ways, man. And we got to, we got to get back to that community we got to get back to our food you know we have to get back to what's real so well speaking of what's real and what's not real should we take a minute try this stuff out uh we made some meat we made uh james prepared us some uh beyond meat and some um impossible impossible burger meat and also we have side by side there some um northeast grown tri-tip sirloin steak that i grilled up at work tonight uh coupled with some pickled vegetables just for a little bit of palate cleanser in between bites we thought it would be interesting to explore the similarities to meat in texture and flavor that this um 
this kind of next generation of vegetable-based meat has. Yeah. And also consider the other side of this whole entire argument, which is like, well, you could also just go vegetarian or vegan and just sidestep the entire issue of ethics and meat and, and uh, try to do your best for the planet. Um, and yeah, basically do your best for the planet by only going for vegetable-based products. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, you can do all these things. You can kind of get away from the meat stuff, but you know, as I mentioned with my Morningstar experience, <clears throat> you know, is, does it taste good? Or yeah. is it going to be something that's interesting to you? Or are you going to be like, oh, this tastes horrible? That's important too. Like that's clutch. Yeah. So I have on my plate, I want to say it's um, the Beyond Meat. Yeah. And you have the Impossible yeah. Burger. So let's, let's give it a whirl, shall we? I mean, is it, is it going to be worth... First of all, yeah, I mean, we made this a little while ago. It looks pretty much exactly like a burger patty. Yeah. I, I mean, as we're sitting here, the smell of it also smells like grilled meat yeah. to oh, me, yeah, like a seared burger. Nice. Right? Yeah, and it's seared up well. It kind of crisped on the outside like it simulated a Maillard effect. You're tasting it. This uh, is red in the middle still. Like it, yeah. it represents being medium, medium rare to medium cooked. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, I mean, it's okay. So yeah, you first. When we started off, it was a very distinctive difference in color mm -hmm. for these particular. Well, I'll speak to the sound tech here, but I'm happy to just hold this. Is, um, you know, when we started off, there was a very specific difference in color. So the Impossible Burger was really red, like you would expect ground beef to be. Mm -hmm. The <clears throat> Beyond Burger was like, it looked like beef, but it looked like it was oxidized. Yeah, the Impossible Burger had uh, beet juice in it. That was the situation with the color? Yeah, the Beyond Meat did not have that in it. That's interesting. I wonder why they decided not to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, the Beyond thing, the Beyond Burger was a situation where it was kind of like the, the first one that really got a lot of praise. Yeah, this was the one, right? Right, and then then, then the Impossible Burger came afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I will say on a textural component, the um, <clears throat> I mean this, I mean because it's different. I'd love, love to yeah, try yeah. yours. You know, it's uh, please. I'm trying to enjoy both. Uh, this is. Hmm. I mean, it's got a great crust on it. <laughs> It's got that salt, like meat salt. Yeah. It's got like that gristly feel. Yeah. It's really interesting. But now, okay, so what I really would be interested in, you tried this, right? And then you tried this other one. So what I really, I think what we should do is actually tap into each of these and then go into the other beef. So I, like literally try a bite. So I'm going to go into this here just for a second. I mean, that, like this to me... They both look like burger meat. Uh-huh. Hmm. I mean, still, you know, I'm, I'm... The Impossible Burger tastes like more meat. This here, the Beyond Meat, has that sort of um, veggie burger kind of situation. It tastes 
to me, like a veggie burger. Mm. Whatever that is, like, I don't know if it's yeast or something like that. But there's a much like this. I find this to be much more sweet. The Impossible Burger to be much more sweet. I, I appreciate the fact that it, it definitely retains a certain color. We're looking at the ingredients. That's the problem. Hmm. It's like this litany of ingredients. It goes on and on and on. Crazy processed proteins, soy proteins, pea proteins. Right. Natural flavors. Yeah. So what exactly? So it's in this processed case, processed food. It's processed food, basically. It's as processed as uh, Cheetos, something like that. So, so the question then becomes: What is, what is natural flavoring in this case? Is there some distillate of meat flavor? Because this burger here, I'm going to taste it against, like, say, beef here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have to speak to the guy who brought, who didn't bring any, uh, you know, uh, knives yeah, up you here. Want to bring your own knife. I did. What about you? Yeah, did you? Thank you. I don't. I don't need one. Okay. No. Oh yeah, that's right. Because you get a little dainty cut there. No, so, <laughs> um, cut. dainty. It's a funny word, Matt. So. Granted, these are two different cuts. You've got how did, ground beef, and then you've got... Of course. How did you cook this? In a pan or... Grilled. Yeah, I can say, because I can totally taste... A bit of that acrid type of smoke, that sort of bitter smoke on it. It's good. It's, it's weird. I, uh, that, mm -hmm. Well, no, it's just... It's weird to me, like, how this Impossible Burger... It's so sweet. Oh, wait, it's like corn-finished beef. Huh. I mean, it's interesting. If you were to serve me that on a bun with cheese, some sort of condiment like a sauce, maybe a little mayo, pickles. Mm -hmm. I'd hammer that freaking thing. Would you know? Would you know? Would, that I... it, would you know that it wasn't meat? I don't know, ma'am. This, I would know. If I was not told, I don't know that I would think about it. I'd yeah. probably just go for it. Like you do with any burgers, and like you do with kind of a lot of meat. Like you just freaking go for it. You just hammer it. You're right. like, oh, meat. Yeah, you, you throw down that sort of super processed Martin's bun with the potato. Yeah, man. Again, guilty pleasure. I love that. Total. I mean, yeah, that's also super sweet and super processed and uh. super pillowy. <laughs> throw it in all the rest of the stuff. Are you going to notice the difference? And maybe there's an opportunity down the road for us to actually take this test on the road. Hmm. Grill up some burgers. Serving to people and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Mm. They're like, oh, this is really great. Who would say, hmm, this tastes a little odd? I don't think I'd taste vegetable. I mean, that, um, I wouldn't. This, this impossible one, I absolutely, I, don't, I really don't think. Once they introduce cheese in there, processed bun, some sort of condiment. Totally. No, this has definitely, the Beyond Burger, has a little bit of a... Um, yeah, you do? You think? Yeah, just a little bit. Not, not that it's like, boom, it screams at me. I mean, texturally, it's interesting, but, you know, it it's, has that sort of meat texture. There is something in there as a twang. Do you get that, or is it just your palate not as educated as mine, which is understandable? Ugh. What's the matter? It tastes, um, it's yeast is up front in the flavor of that. Also, it's going for the gristle thing in a way that the Beyond Meat is also. Or the Impossible Burger mm. is also, but it's going for it in a way that's actually unrealistic. 
there's never that much of a gristly feel in hamburger meat, no matter what it is, even the crappiest. And in fact, that's in fact what it crosses over into. It's like a really terrible, like your worst nightmare of a gristly, terrible hamburger meat. Like a tough burger. Yeah. But the, so the question becomes then, all right, so here's the deal, right? We say, okay, enough with the meat, right? Tonight, the meat ends. What does that I'm mean for the it. world? It makes me feel like shit. I yeah, don't but like also it. it's horrible for the environment. Oh, it's no. it's horrible for the environment. It's There's so many ethical issues. We shouldn't have it, blah, it's blah, blah, whatever. It's cruel. Right. We're done with it. So what does that mean? That means animals go away. Um, there are a lot of positive benefits to animals. You know, sort of working the earth, giving a lot of nutrition through manure, types of things like that. Mm-hmm. But in this problem of this capitalism situation we're stuck in, where, okay, great, so then that means where all those animals were, we've cut back the population because we don't need them anymore. It probably takes five years, three years, whatever, maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they'd be culled massively mm. for the, the, the sake of they're not going to feed animals mm. because if they're not making any money, mm. that land gets then taken over by grains, huh. peas, specifically in this case with these two things. Yep. And soybeans, right. too. There's a lot of soy in these. Yeah. So then it means... Which is also one of the leading genetically modified products on the planet. Huge. Between corn and soy. But then the problem becomes then, okay, now we need to meet this demand. And again, we are depleting the soil. I mean, this is this problem that we're into. It goes back to the bigger conversation of how do we support the world. And it's, there's, no, there's no one fix. Yes, there's a lot of people in the Midwest. People are growing corn, much more corn than we need to. Mm -hmm. Because it's a big cash crop. There's something broken in the system. Mm. And, you know, again, people are making money. They're going to go where, where that is. They're going to do things. They're going to cut corners or whatever. And here we are with the same problem if we decide to make this choice tonight, if we're the be-all and end-all decision makers. Mm. You know, 10 years from now, 10, 15 years from now, we're probably going to see the problems with our choices because now it's going to be insane with – People are going to be complaining about what well, we shouldn't be consuming as much peas. We've gone too far, then we will have gone too far in the other direction. Yeah. So, what is, what's the solution? What do you say? What's your choice? I would say that the solution is to wipe ourselves out and all of humankind from the entire planet, and then everything will probably be fine again. But, you know what? I'm just kidding. Uh, are you? I mean, sort of. Are you? Know. It's not an option. I guess I'm going to say that. It's well, is any of the stuff we're talking about actually tonight a real viable option? <laughs> That's the other question. I think that? with the most Realistic. viable option, and maybe it's not an option at all, but I don't know, is to moderate. I think it's being able to appreciate a Beyond Meat burger or an impossible burger from time to time. It's about eating that, that tri-tip there. And thinking about that tri-tip, where it came from, why it's there, the fact that its life was taken, the fact that it is nourishing us, Chewing it slowly, with reverence, 
or freaking devouring it. I think that's also a sign of respect sometimes too. Just like something that is so delicious and you're so hungry that you're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. But as long as you appreciate it. Yeah, that's sort if you're of... You're not just choking it down because that's a problem. People just down, eat yeah. because they don't even know. They're just like, oh, I just got to get it in, whatever, whatever. Yeah, no, but it's more like, I'm so hungry and this amazing meat is so delicious. Yeah. Holy cow, I'm just going to hammer it right now and it's like gone. I mean, that's the conversation I have with a lot of clients is that, you know, one of my favorite things to reference is nachos. Now, <clears throat> nachos are so, you know, lowbrow or whatever, right? I, mean, I think we all like good nachos. What I love about that is that you and I are in a conversation, deep conversation about whatever, right? We've got a plate of nachos in front of us, a nice big old fat platter, right? <laughs> Stacked right up. we got all the cheese and the ground beef and yeah, everything yeah. else on it, right? The jalapenos. Uh-huh. I'm talking to you. Better believe when I reach in to get that nacho, I'm going to disconnect from this conversation because I'm going to reach in. I'm going to find the nacho chip that's got the most stuff on it. I don't want a plain old salty tortilla on everything on there. All right. That causes me to disconnect from our conversation to get there. You got a cob salad in front of you. You got whatever, a pasta in front of you. You're talking. You're just forking it in. You don't even need to disconnect. You need to disconnect to realize what's happening Mm -hmm. with that kind of stuff. And, yeah, absolutely. If you're starving, you want to, you know, wolf it down, awesome. Go for it. But as long as you're understanding, like, what it took to get there and be thankful for that. Because I think so many people just wolf stuff down and they don't even care. Yeah. They just are like, whatever, it's fuel, it's fuel. Yeah. Totally, man. So Isn't the, it also interesting that when I was talking about showing reverence or whatever, all I talked about was the meat. I didn't talk about the peas or the soybeans or the processing or all the thought and all the energy and all the research that went into creating that burger that was so lifelike. Yeah, and then also, let's be honest, there's life involved with that. Yeah. Right? Though, right. It's, though it's different, it's not perhaps able to communicate verbally in English like we do. What about mycelium? It is the, basically the connective tissue of the forest floor, yeah. really of all everything. You know, it communicates in ways. What about Things those studies? Things respond to each other. Yeah, totally. What about those studies of um, plants growing in water where... Uh, actually, let me back up a little bit. What about the studies of water where... They had people stand around like a jug of water and either say nice things to it and like label yeah. it with nice words and all sure, that stuff. Sure, 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 yeah. And, or the opposite, like be mean to it and say mer- terrible mean things to it and label it with mean words and all sure, that. Yeah. And then they looked in microscopes at the structure of the water. Yep. And the ones that had love are like these beautiful, perfect, crystallized, amazing looking structures. Yep. And the ones that had the terrible words are all like ugly and deformed and terrible. As a human species, we're so young still. We have no clue, really. We have no clue about anything, really, <laughs> if you think about it, right? We, we know what we're told. We know what makes money. You know, we know what we're told based off of what makes money. And that's really scary. Yeah. And what's even more scary is that our willingness to believe that. A willingness to be so submissive, subordinate. Isn't that, that way. interesting? That yeah. it's like at that same time, part of us, our trait is to be adventurous and to learn and to grow and to evolve and to expand. And then the other part of it is to basically 
you know, live within a school, like a school of fish, yeah. and just go wherever. You know, I think it's a survival. It must be a survival technique. Yeah, absolutely. Sort, an outdated yeah. survival technique. It is outdated. The world is changing, and it's a very exciting time to be alive. Mm-hmm. It really is, isn't it? It is, man. It absolutely is. I'm so happy that we were able to talk about local farms and farming just yeah. because it's an option. Like, you're able to describe what our daily life could be like uh, while we're out. We've got a day off from work and we're out running about errands and whatever. We have the opportunity to stop off at a farm somewhere that's close by to us. And most of us have that now. We have that close by to us. That's actually a privilege. It's actually amazing. There are regions of this country and of this world where that's not accessible, accessible and that's absolutely not okay. And I hope that we are able to continue along on this trajectory so that we can provide in those areas. But we can cruise down Route 41 on our way to Big Y and the liquor store (laughs) and the hardware store and stop off at North Plain and pick up some meat and pick up some dairy and be on our way. Absolutely. Yeah, so advocate as much as you possibly can. Advocate, advocate. People are listening. Now is the time. You want something, you feel passionate about something, go get it. Tell everybody. And start, start with yourself. Get yourself inspired. Yeah, if understand you want it. to, man, like if you want to. We, nobody can force you to do anything. But it makes a difference. It makes a better world. You're going to probably feel good. Like yeah. You're probably going to feel a little bit better about eating meat. I would say 100%. Right now where we stand, for me, this was great. We're still going to be in this situation, I think, for at least my lifetime, our lifetime, you know, of a position where we are relying on meat. So if we're going to go down that direction, as nice as this is, make good choices. Be responsible. Ask questions. Feel good about your choices. Understand it. Once you understand it, spread it along. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So I can't wait to have another conversation. This Today, this conversation was really meaningful for me because it's a difficult situation. It's a conversation that I think many of us avoid, but I think it's a big, it's a big responsibility. If we're going to engage in eating meat, we're going to engage in you know, living life like this, like we need to question things, we need to be okay, we need to understand why it is that we're doing things and what, what's the cost. Mm-hmm. Thank you for spending the time. Question things, question everything. Get, yeah. you know, get real with what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. So, Question what we said here today. We want to see your comments. We want to hear your thoughts. Uh, we'd love to get feedback, always, Please. and get an opportunity to respond and potentially an opportunity to grow so that we can all grow together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so got questions, you have feedback, please email us at figurativelyfeasting at gmail.com. Uh, our handles are Chef Simeon, yes? Yes. Chef Simeon, not, not the big muscly guy. Yeah, right. Not the big muscly dude. Yeah. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about if you look me up on YouTube. Yeah. Perfect. But Instagram, Chef Simeon, go right for it. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it's on Instagram, Chef James Gopp, uh, Heirloom Fire, at Heirloom Fire, uh, on YouTube, same situation. Um, Until the next time, 
we look forward to engaging with you all more about deep topics. Today was a big one, I think, for both of us, yes? Yeah, I'm exhausted, dude, emotionally. Yeah, me too. <laughs> let's go so, to bed. Let's go to bed. Perfect. All right. With See each other. <laughs> Sorry. I, couldn't, I just had to throw it out. Okay. Of course you did. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Until next time, guys, we'll see you soon. Take care.